This is Unfiltered, episode 211 for November 2nd, 2016. There is no case here. Hillary Clinton and her campaign firing back at FBI Director James Comey, slamming his decision to notify Congress of a new investigation into thousands of emails found on a computer belonging to the estranged husband of a top Clinton aide, Huma Abedin. Clinton's campaign turning the tables on Comey. This is it. We are less than one week away from the end of... Oh, the world's not going to end. Oh, it's just the election. Got it. Anyway, we're less than a week away from the biggest election of really our lifetimes right now. I don't know how you're going to top it. So keep keep tuned because this is going to be incredible. I'm how Chase. There's Chris. Hey, buddy. How, how can you? How can you? How can you? Oh, oh gosh. I was, uh, I was telling, I was telling uh, my lady friend this week that... Uh, the irony is that the potentially first woman president may be taken down by a na- by a man n- named Weiner. Think about that. That she was going to break that ultimate glass ceiling, ceiling, and her campaign may be unraveling because of a a man named Weiner. I, I, I really, if they wrote that in House of Cards, and they and that character yeah, and this guy named Weiner yeah, came out yeah. on, he'd be like, oh, come on, that's so on the nose. I, I really cannot wait to talk about this. Because I have so many thoughts. I mean, first off, before we dig into it, on, yes, fri- sir, yes, on, on Friday. Big bump, big drop, when, big when news. When you saw the drop, it wasn't your typical Friday news dump. Because usually when you get these big kind of events that drop out on a Friday, it, you know, it's swept under the rug by Monday. That's classic standard thing. But now, oh my God. Yeah, it's all they run with. Right, they just they just go mad on it, and uh, yeah. So let's talk about what happened, uh, what the narr- how the narrative has been set, some of the leaks that have come out, and then oh my gosh, in the overtime we have some super important information about the foundation. We're also going to cover terrorism, world events, but first, Chase, we got a cyber. We got to get the cyber on, and I, I don't know if uh, you picked up on a meme uh, floating around the newsroom, but there is a new term, and I want to see if you can pick it up in our first cyber all clip. Right, okay, right. listen I, I, for the I new term. Tuned in. Ooh. State of Ohio has taken an unprecedented step, calling on the National Guard's elite cyber unit to help protect the election. You called on them to essentially hack the state's systems. We want to be tested. Cyber warfare is a new front. And I don't mean any disrespect to our service members, but uh, if you want to have the most advanced penetration testing possible, something tells me it's probably, I mean... The National Guard's probably got a unit, but there's probably companies that that's their entire existence is they do professional yeah, they, penetration they, testing. Yeah, they do intrusion protection. There's probably yeah. better better places to go. But that being said, though, I mean, they did put the offer out there, and you know it's probably free. So, you know, they're just going to go ahead and, you know, call them up. For the military, for business, and now for elections. Hacking voting Yikes. machines in the nation's 9,000 jurisdictions would be a tough task since they're not connected to the Internet or each other. <laughs> there are also security measures. Now, you can't get into that machine without That's a zip tie. one of these seals. Right but there. voter registration yeah. databases with names, numbers, emails, and addresses are vulnerable. There were breaches in states including Arizona and Illinois. 
Hackers could use voter contact information to send erroneous voting locations. Hackers could also wipe the database clean, making names disappear from voter logs, sparking confusion. You know, getting read access to a database is not the same as being able to drop the tables of the database. Exactly. And send, and then the then the amount of effort behind having to send people to bogus poll locations, that's not going to happen. No, either. it's not. And long lines. We call this room the Hunter's Den. Uh, we are we're cyber we're cyber hunters. There it is, buddy. And, and I got to tell you what, there's like four other clips that I'm not going to bother playing where they use the term cyber hunters. Apparently, I'm, I'm face palming right now. So what I think's happening here is I think the National Guard is advertising certain. Like I think every part of the military industrial complex is yeah. trying to claim their piece of the cyber pie. Uh, the CIA, NSA, yeah. FBI, and even the National Guard. Every, all of them, each so, of them. So is this a recruitment tool? I think it's an advertising to demonstrate the value of the money that's being spent on these divisions. Ah, Look at the... The elections are so important to the United States of America. They're fundamental to our beautiful democracy. Hello, everybody. And they, the National Guard, are protecting us but, with their cyber hunters. But, but, Chris, you don't understand. I mean, we've been doing elections now in the age of the Internet for a while now. Why, why haven't we protected them before? They, they've been unprotected. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I guess so. States including Arizona and Illinois. Hackers could use voter contact information to send erroneous voting locations. Hackers could also wipe the database clean making names disappear from voter logs, sparking confusion and long lines. We call this room the Hunter's Den. Uh, we are we're cyber we're cyber hunters. The National Guard cyber team in Maryland is on standby to assist its state. Major General Linda Singh runs the operation. You see how there could be money in it for them if each if each if each state has their own cyber hunters division, then that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of people. That's a lot to organize. That's funding. I, I am calling bull BS on this. And the reason why is right now, like PACs and other groups can go and get voter information right now, right? They can, you know, it's it's easy. You can see who voted in the last election. What's is your point? It, my point is people can do this already. Uh, hackers, quote unquote, or people who what, what want is to scam. It? So what are you calling BS on? I'm calling BS on this whole thing where they're protecting. And of course they, it's yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's total bullshit. I think it yeah. is what it is. It's politicians. It's it's savvy politicians that are taking advantage of hype. Oh, so yeah. There, there, was a, there, has been a, there has been this air of fear around Russians and cyber attacks. And there probably has been people, I mean, like the, the ones in, like the, the, what, the breach in Arizona was just a simple uh, CMS vulnerability and a, C, and a simple uh, SQL injection and they had it. So it's not like these are super sophisticated hacks. No. In the, in the case of Podesta, it's a phishing attempt, right? It, right. These are all really basic stuff, but there's been such a climate of fear that's been created that now a savvy politician, even one sitting in the military, are going to take advantage of this, I think. But, th- but this isn't a, uh, a case to federalize elections. No, I think it's just a matter of... It's a matter of using that. It's a matter of advertising that the National Guard. So, see, a couple of weeks ago, the reason why it's noticed what I'm noticing here is the Department of Homeland Security came out for a while right. and they advertised wanted, all their capabilities. Yeah, they wanted people. Yeah. Now yeah, it's yeah. the National Guard. You right. see, I feel like these different agencies are coming. Well, we do cyber. Well, hey guys, we do cyber. Hey, hey Chris, then then we're missing out on a golden big, opportunity big time, here. Dude. Big time. We need, I can go download Cali Linux. Let's go to town. Let's do it. State. Major General Linda Singh runs the operation. These are the folks who are out responding to the snowstorms, the floods, the hurricanes, um, but they're not necessarily thinking that we are out 
fighting the technology war. Both here and in Ohio, the goal is the same, identify and stop cyber intruders. You're looking for anything that doesn't look quite right, meaning malicious activity. Malicious activities, bad guys pulling information away. With the election just days away, Ohio is confident your vote will count. How can you truly be? So I think this is, I think this whole thing is really something that we're witnessing that is, is, is sort of shameful in a one way because it's taking advantage of the public's yeah. ignorance in a big way. And it's yeah. promoting spending that isn't necessary. It is involving the federal government yeah. in a state process that I'm not also very comfortable with. And you're not keeping Jim from clicking that link Can in Can I give email. you one more? One yeah. more, one more. Oh, As of today, all but four states are now seeking protection from the Department of Homeland Security. 46 states. 46 states. Wow. To fend off cyber attacks, particularly from Russia, from infiltrating their election systems. The battleground state of Ohio is taking this one step further, fighting fire with fire in a way. They're deploying a military unit to try to hack into their own system in Ohio to test to see how vulnerable it is. God, they mean love this story. Went behind the scenes inside the pivotal swing states fight to protect the vote. You hear this? Do you hear the amount of hype in this? The pivotal swing states vote, or uh, the pivotal swing states. We have to protect, to protect Ohio. The vote. Yeah. The critical state of Ohio has taken an unprecedented step. And it's essentially the same report, and they come up with cyber hunters again. But you get the idea, the kind of hype. And I think I thought that forty-six number was just uh, unbelievable. As long as it wasn't forty-two. <laughs> Or 33. There is, at one level, state-based interference, cyber interference, and that is definitely the case. I think— um, This is uh, this is Ian Duncan Smith, the member of the U.K. Parliament. He's a conservative, and he says that uh, Russia is absolutely hacking. I think you'll find that the USA and the U.K. do it in a more defensive manner, which is to say checking and watching to see what uh, areas have been— uh, stolen or retrieved from them. So Russia does the attacking, and China, I'm sure. There is what kind of intelligence, what kind of technological advances are in certain of these states that may at some stage pose a threat to them. But I think what the difference is, that in the case of Russia particularly, uh-huh. and probably China, probably. Uh, theirs yeah. is a much more aggressive and offensive style, uh, A, partly looking for technological advances and secrets, and secondly, really, constantly trying to manipulate and involve themselves in that decision-making process now, would you say breaching cellular networks of Chinese carriers is aggressive? Because I would consider that to be aggressive. Totally. Yeah. Uh, replacing and intercepting intercepting the hardware and replacing the firmware on that hardware with spyware, that seems, Cisco. Yeah. seems yeah. kind of aggressive. Yeah, totally. But when I really think about aggressive cyber warfare, do you know what I think of? What, you, what is that? Stuxnet. I think oh, of Stuxnet. Yeah. And who created Stuxnet? The U.S. of A. created Stuxnet. Yep. That w- literally, to, to take these centrifuges in Iran and make them spin so they fall apart and blow up to that way they could retard their nuclear program. That's why we created Stuxnet. And and then for this jackass to come on there and say, well, it's really Russia and China that create We're the more most... on a defensive. Yeah, they create all the aggressive... All the aggressive spyware. And the worst part is, is not only do we create the most aggressive spyware and set a new standard, which I'm not the one saying that either. Your good friend. My buddy. Michael Hayden is in an interview on CBS saying that the U.S. set a new standard with Stuxnet. That's not my words. That's his words. He's a former NSA director. And the worst part is, not only do they create all this malware and they do this intrusion, but they work in hand with the telcos in a sort of fascist way to spy on the people. AT&T has legally spied on its customers. The Daily Beast reports AT&T used a secretive for-profit program called Project Hemisphere for years. 
It was used for a wide number of functions, from investigating homicides to Medicare fraud. It searches trillions of call records and analyzes cellular data to determine where a target is located, with whom he or she speaks, and potentially why. Different law enforcement agencies, such as sheriff and police departments, would pay from $100,000 to upward of $1 million a year or more for hemisphere access and data. Man, I really want them to buy Time Warner. That's going to be great. Oh, it's a great idea. It's great. They'll be running CNN. They'll be running uh, the HBO. Uh, Warner Brothers yeah, Network. That'll yeah. be that'll be really good. And it'll be fair. That'll be really good. Totally. Mm. Yes. Mm. Oh there. man, I'm I'm realizing that I have more clips on the cyber hunters. You know, I, I'll just leave them in the supporter sync if you guys want to see it. Here, I think <laughs> I do kind of want to. Before we totally leave them, have a lot of fun with cyber this week. There's one more fun a one here. A new documentary explores the dangerous world of cyber weapons. Oh. Zero Days follows the path of Stuxnet. Oh yeah, what were we just talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, an unprecedented computer virus. It spread from a nuclear facility in Iran to machines around the world. The documentary traces Stuckneck's origins back to its alleged creation by the United States and Israel. Alleged. The virus is one example of emerging cyber weaponry. Zero Days raises important questions about this new frontier in warfare. This has the whiff of August 1945. Somebody just used a new weapon. It's your buddy. And this ah, one there's will my not friend. be put back into the box. I, I know... Uh, no operational details and don't know what anyone did or didn't do before someone decided to use the weapon. All right. I do know this. If we go out and do something, most of the rest of the world now thinks that's a new standard. So this is sounding like a pretty creepy, yeah. spooky documentary on cyber war. And they got a great Hayden clip about Stuxnet in there. Meanwhile, that guy, uh, that guy from the uh, from London, uh, he's up there. The conservatives like, oh, yeah, no, the. It's really China and Russia that are the aggressors, and right, we're setting yeah. the new standard. They're the ones. Okay, let's let's shift gears. We're almost all done right. with the cyber. I okay. had my fun. All right, all right, good. We've got to get serious for a little bit. Let's give a little update on the terrorism category. Terror. And uh, uh, there's probably not going to be a big surprise to anyone that there still is internal wars in the different forces that the U.S. is trying to work with in Syria and Thousands Iraq. Thousands of Iraqi civilians have been fleeing the city of Mosul and surrounding villages as the U.S.-backed operation to retake the city from Islamic State enters the 11th day. Despite claims from Baghdad and Washington on the success of the operation and military victories, the real situation on the ground appears to be much more complicated. This is happening a lot more now. Russia uh, is just directly calling out, uh, well, no, you say it's one thing and we say it's completely a different thing. You claim one thing, we say it's something else entirely different. Uh, and this is becoming pretty, pretty interesting from somebody who watches both sides of the reports right. to see the two yeah. different – and one group will drop pictures and then the other group ups it with some rhetoric. Um, but I don't really have much more to update on Syria itself and, and Iraq. I do kind of want to keep talking about Russia though and uh, I, I, I don't think we had a clip before but we finally, finally – finally have accused Julian Assange of being a Russian spy. As finally. WikiLeaks continues to release fresh batches of emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, the whistleblowing group's editor, Julian Assange, has now been dubbed a Russian spy. However, he claims Clinton's campaign all the while has in fact tried to hack into the servers of WikiLeaks. Oh, do you think? Yeah, I do, actually. I can buy it. I totally can buy it. I, I, I mean, because, you know, why wouldn't they try to figure out what he's got? Right. Right? And who's going who's gonna to go after the Clintons for hacking WikiLeaks? Nobody's going to no. go after Nobody. Nobody. All right. So I want to talk about uh, – we'll get, we'll get more to WikiLeaks in a minute. Let's keep talking about Russia. I just thought the, the whole Russian spy angle yeah, was funny. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
there is a coalition building in Syria, and it's a powerful one. And it's not what three party talks have wrapped up in Moscow, where the foreign ministers of Russia, Syria and Iran. So Russia, Syria and Iran are all meeting in Moscow. Discussed how to relaunch the political process in Syria. Well, we can now cross live to our. They're basically making a post U.S. plan they're, So they're getting together as a coalition. Uh, and honestly, uh, it's getting kind of rough right now because there is a pressure internationally building against Russia and there is accusations this week that Russia, Russia maybe accidentally bombed a Syrian school. Oh, and of course, that would be a humanitarian crisis if that's true. It's an attack that has horrified people around the world. A bomb dropped on a school in Idlib, killing at least twenty children and injuring many others. The UN's Children's Agency, UNICEF, says the attack was inhuman and the UN's global education envoy, the former British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, has called for the Security Council to take action. Now, the accusations coming from US-backed rebels and the claims are being made by the UN, which is also, you know, another US-backed. Yeah. Uh, and Russia's denying, but... This is the worst assault on school children among 98 separate attacks on Syrian schools in the last two years, I'm calling on the Security Council to immediately agree that the International Criminal Court prosecutor uh, should instruct and conduct an investigation into what I believe is a war crime. Now, that's a massive accusation now. Oh, totally. Apparently, our two strikes on Doctors Without Borders hospitals were not war crimes, but, but this isn't. I'm not trying to say it's a good thing. And Russia says it's the blame game. They say they, we didn't carry out the attack. Russia's defense ministry has said it didn't carry out an attack uh, that killed up to 22 ch- school ch- children in a village in Syria's Idlib province. Moscow claims satellite images show the attack wasn't an airstrike. When news of the incident emerged, Western officials and mainstream media were quick to point the finger of Russian, uh, at Russian and Syrian forces despite lack of evidence. Government or Russian airstrikes have killed at least 28 people in Idlib province. Rescue workers say a complex containing three schools was among several targets hit in half in Idlib province. It isn't clear yet whether the raids were carried out by the Syrian government or Russian aircraft. Why would the Syrian government bomb one of their own schools that they they maintain and build why to, to push a message no no they wouldn't they don't bomb their own people right children attempting to gain an education in the middle of a war zone the victims of an airstrike by either russian or government aircraft yeah, and it's just a foregone conclusion yeah. apparently yeah um and i don't know if it is or not do you find satellite imagery to be a compelling argument they, they review the imagery here. We've, we've done that before. The picture it is marked by these yellow lines. Yeah. I mean, do you find this to be here's the time they claim it happened. Here's the attack from satellites. I mean, and Russia would legitimately have satellites trained on Syria for sure. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. You would hope not. But I mean, what do you. It's a very scary situation because yeah. you're not sure either way. And at the end result, you got kids that are killed. And it doesn't really matter because if the U.N. Council and the U.S. narrative just becomes and Europe just goes along that Russia did bomb that school, it really doesn't matter. Right. Just sort of like that aid convoy that was never really conclusively linked to Russia either. 
but it's just the narrative we've gone. Well, they bombed that aid convoy, and that's what that's why the ceasefire fell apart. Right. And now it's well, Russia's committed humanitarian crimes, and Russia's taking it seriously. They have ceased air operations in Syria, and uh, I guess Putin just recently rejected the military's request to resume. Well, wow. The UN Security Council has condemned both Friday's school attack in western Aleppo and Wednesday's assault in Idlib province too. It's calling for thorough investigations into those incidents. We asked several human rights organisations to comment on Friday's shelling in western Aleppo and here's what they had to say. The UNICEF Secretary-General strongly condemned the attack and said that it may even amount to war crimes, while Human Rights Watch told us that they aren't in a position to comment at the moment as they currently don't have enough information on the incident. A humanitarian pause has been in place for 11 days now in Aleppo after both Russia and Syria agreed to stop their airstrikes against terrorists in the city, but the militant shelling has shown no sign of stopping. Yeah, so that's kind of the issue, right? Uh, is the yeah. militants, they just keep going like yeah, they're going no matter what. QB roll of missiles firing. So that is, a, that is a situation that they are watching very, very closely. That is terrible. Yeah. It is. A, it is it's, a, a, it's, a, it's, it's a crazy, stupid mess right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, okay. Um, why don't we move, speaking of, of Iran, why don't we move over to Iran just briefly? Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, Loretta Lynch. I, I I don't I don't know if I will ever get over the fact that she met with Bill Clinton in that airplane. Like, that yeah, will, I will never get over that. But this, they were in the same place at the same time. He was just saying hi, no mm-hmm. big deal, Chris. Come and, on, and you know what's nuts about that? There would have been no reporting if it hadn't been for that one local reporter with a camera that shot that. Yeah, and otherwise it never would have been known, and no one would know. Uh, this though, this is almost as bad. Loretta Loretta Lynch uh, is getting asked tough questions, and she basically pleads the fifth. The frickin' attorney general. Wow. Yeah! All right! Tipping point. With Liz Wheeler. All right, this is what it's come to in our political climate. Now our own attorney general essentially pled the fifth. Attorney General Loretta Lynch is refusing to answer any questions posed by our elected representatives in Congress about the ransom payment President Obama made to Iran in exchange for the American hostages they held. And joining me now to discuss... Isn't that something? So instead of having to answer any questions, she just essentially... She gets away with pleading the fifth. And wow. due process doesn't matter. We can't have... Yeah. I, I find Loretta Lynch to be uh, to be a despicable person. <laughs> it's like there's these people around Hillary yeah. that are so corrupt. Yeah. Like, uh, like, like, uh, like Donna Brazil. Yeah. Oh, and the and the leaking of the question, and, and uh, what's her name, um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yeah, um, I mean these are people that they get in, they get in important positions, but you can tell there's some sort of tether to them and, and Clinton, uh, and and Brazil this week. Let's talk about Donna Brazil for okay, a moment. Yeah, let's let's do that. She well, first of all, she got laid off, fired from CNN. So she's got, she's being let go because of the leak. CNN cutting ties with Donna but granted, Brazil, though, she as soon as she became the interim chief, they put her on a suspension anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but they're officially... This after it was revealed that she leaked a question to the Clinton camp ahead of a CNN town hall during this past primary season. In a statement from the network, CNN says we're completely uncomfortable with what we have learned about her interactions with the Clinton campaign while she was a CNN contributor, end quote. There's more to that. Howie Kurtz is going through that now. Host of Media Buzz, Howard, good morning to you. Good morning, How 
deep they start like this run. I can I watch it again? I just love him so much. His face. He's so good. How? And look at Howie. Like now Howie's just like, I'm like, oh my God, am I stuck with this guy? More to that. Howie Kurtz is going through that now. Host of Media Buzz. Howie, good morning to you. Good morning, How deep does a scar like this run when a network is exposed in this manner? Well, look, this whole episode has tarnished Donna Brazil, has tarnished the network that she betrayed, and also, in a way, tarnishes all of us in the media because there's so much suspicion out there about whether we're too cozy or colluding with the Clinton campaign. CNN hasn't helped itself by the way that it has handled this, which is to say poorly. Okay, now, Joe Concha, media writer for TheHill.com, said this about what's happening inside CNN and what should happen based on his expectation. CNN, and I called for this a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to do it again, needs to absolutely conduct an internal investigation by an outside firm to see where this cancer exists. One is you want to figure out who's talking to whom and how the information gets out. Is, is, this, is this the right next move, Howard? Yeah, but that's not even enough. Hmm. CNN does need to investigate this because it goes to the heart of its credibility as a network. But let's review for a moment. Mm -hmm. First story about uh, Donna Brazile leaking a question in advance to uh, the Clinton campaign. Um, CNN didn't even sort of come out and condemn it. It mm -hmm. kind of deflected the attention to its mm -hmm. partner, TV One, saying the leak must have come from there. Now we, and then, more than two weeks ago, CNN basically forced Donna Brazil out, officially it's being called a resignation, but didn't say a word publicly about it. Apparently more concerned with protecting its image than and being Clinton. transparent. You know, we yep. always, when politicians get in trouble, news organizations always say, well, they should go out there and answer the questions. They should be transparent. Mm -hmm. I think CNN President Jeff Zucker... They came out, you know why they came out about it now? Why? Because another batch of emails came out where she talks about forwarding more questions. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's so corrupt. It's too cozy. It is. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. This has been one of the biggest revelations about this election is how broken the mainstream media is and how important independent reporting is. And even when even when you look at something like as 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 microscopic as a single story, you can get so much more information out from independent media. And one of the things I love about our show is we're able to sift through all of the crap and bring you the very best stuff. After all of the work, the days and days and days of work that 211 took us, we are now recording with 100 and I think it's 127 or 125 clips for our show. That is now, what amazing. I play for you in the show is a reduction of some of that, and then we put more in the overtime, but you imagine the amount of work it takes to, to go through all of that, to edit out certain parts of it that you yeah. want to focus on, and then to back it all up with sources and links as best as we can in the show notes. It is a ton of work, and so we really appreciate the support. We have 505 supporters today. It would be incredible if we could get another five and get to 510 by the election. It would just be really nice. That would be really cool. We're going to be live doing the election next episode. Next Tuesday. Which you can find our live time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Come commiserate with us. Uh, but, Mr. Chase, do we have anything for the mail sack, or should uh, I leave it closed yeah. no, this No, week, no, no. we got to go out to the mailbox because it's time to pull it down. Woo! <laughs> okay. All right. Message comes in from Ben. He says, hey, it seems the most damning information to come out of the ongoing WikiLeaks revelations is how thoroughly entrenched the corporate media is within the political establishment. Yes. And how often it seems that they are little more than a propaganda arm for their political connections. Now, we've seen hints that tech companies like Google are gathering personal data from their users to help political campaigns, and companies like Facebook and Twitter 
have been accused of suppressing content that is favorable to Trump or unfavorable to Clinton. I'd be interested to hear any insight you two have on these developments and what you uh, think they might mean for the future of our democracy. I think regardless of who gets elected, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the media is the one that's truly lost. And uh, thank God that there are more and more platforms and more and more people are learning about alternative sources. And I think for people that are looking for information, they're going to turn to the internet more and more and they're going to find content yeah. like ours yeah and, and and that's one thing what we try to do is try to stay on uh, in, in the middle you know and, and and call it as it is you know we we try not to have any bias either yeah either and way. stay accountable to our patrons yeah that's one absolutely. thing that's super important to us and then also we try to correct the ship like if we go off in the wrong direction we try to right the ship but man i gotta say and i don't i mean just since we're in the patreon segment our track record is is really solid so far on yep. some of this stuff. Like uh, on a lot of the, the stuff that the leaks have talked about with the media manipulation or uh, with the funding of ISIS and all this stuff, we've talked about it and we've called that. Um, and so I I want to get into our Red Book prediction when it comes to the election in a little bit because yep. it's next week and we got to talk about it. So before we go any further, just one more plug, patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks to our patrons. I got I got, I got an idea for you. Right. Why don't we I – got, I, got, I got a couple – I got a few Biden clips for you. Oh, good old Biden. Why don't we uh, – you know he's a good friend of mine. Why don't we play these Biden clips and then get into our uh, – we'll follow up on the Red Book prediction about who's going to win the election. All right, fair enough. Or do you want to do it after the – let's do it after all the clips. All right. Let's do it all after right. all the Hillary – That's fine too. Yeah, let's do it after all the Hillary stuff. Okay. So then we'll have the full latest set of all of the controversies on Works the table and then we'll make the call who we think is going to win next all next right. week. Fair enough. Because uh, I'm, on, I'm on the book with my prediction now for a long time. But uh, no, let's start with Joe. I love watching Joe because I think I believe on deep down Joe wanted this. And the Wiki, WikiLeak emails reveal that there was some sort of uh, effort within the Clinton campaign to sabotage a Joe Biden run. <sighs> and then Joe Biden plays it off as his son. This is in the emails where they say, well, we're going to play it off because of his son. But he really did want to run. But that doesn't mean Joe's not sticking to that line. Obviously, both sides, you know, are preparing for the possibility that they would be president. So their transition teams are putting together lists of possible possible cabinet. Picks. So I have a theory here. All so right. Joe wants to run and Hillary is is sort of gassing him a little bit here. Um, and secretary of state, obviously a very important post for any president uh, to name right away. And so we understand uh, that Joe Biden has been on a long list of many candidates. A long list. Pos- position for possible secretary of state. That- so I think she's like, she's like, just keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. And you might get secretary of state, which I don't think he would take. It would be a downgrade. He, of course, yeah, he doesn't want it. Of yeah. course not. But here's Biden in a recent interview. Is this the kind of story that makes Joe Biden say, damn it, I should have run. He's talking about the Wiener emails. Uh, Michael, the only reason I didn't run had nothing to I thought I could beat Hillary. I thought I could beat anybody that ran. No one should run for president unless they think they can do that. I didn't run for one simple overarching reason. He didn't run because he was sabotaged by the Clinton campaign. <laughs> and by the way, while his while his and I don't mean to be cold about this, but while his while his while his one son was dying, Joe still seemed to have his wits enough about him to plant his other son in the Ukraine after the government was overthrown to milk the money out of the oil pipelines right, over man, there. We covered that. So somehow Joe was still Feeling good enough to put that together. My son was dying, and he died. That's the total reason. I mean, I have great respect for Hillary. I have great respect for uh, um, other people who've run. But you don't make a decision based on the other person. I, I thought that at the time, uh, 
I was, uh, this, the issues where the country's facing were right in my wheelhouse. I didn't run, beca- not run because Hillary was running. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I didn't run because my son's not here. Which it's amazing that he can just use his son's death like that. It's so cold and calculated. I gotta say, he he looks very convincing. Yeah, that's what he's good at. I know. Period. If Americans go to the polls and there's an open question as to whether she's under investigation, wouldn't that mean there's an open question as to whether she faces some punishment down the road? Well, I guess technically, but look, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I can't believe that. She's too powerful for that to happen. Is, I just think this is this. These things have been blown out of proportion. Oh, yeah. I think the easiest way to do it is just release the emails. Okay. Okay. So, um, so that's Biden's answer. Biden, I could have run. I could have won. I did, but that's not why I ran. Uh, and so, if you want to know what a big deal is, these Wiener emails for Hillary Clinton, you can you can you can infer everything you need to know. By Joe Biden's reaction when he learns that the source is Anthony. Oh, I love this. I'd be remiss if I didn't note that if she had released all the emails from the get go, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, that's true. Um, But I I don't know where this email, where those emails came from. What apparently Anthony Weiner. Well, oh, God. <laughs> that was that was an honest response. Yeah, that looks, was an honest feeling. He looks like he's like, I can't believe that. I don't really? know where these emails come from. Well, oh god, uh, <laughs> Anthony Weiner. Um, <laughs> I should not come in, Anthony Weiner. I'm not a big fan, and I wasn't before he got in trouble, so I shouldn't come in, Anthony Weiner. One more question. Weimer, 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 Weimer. Oh God, oh God. All right, wow. so let's get into uh, some of this Hillary stuff. Dun, da, da, da. And I, I kind of want to give us some context, just so we get an idea of the scope of the problem that Hillary could be in. Is she could have been discussing something with the president, and that pretty much anything would be classified. Right. This goes all the way to the top. The WikiLeaks dump is not the only headache for the Clinton campaign today. Newly released FBI files show President Obama used a pseudonym to exchange emails. With then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Barry 420. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge is here. Hello, Catherine. Well, thank you, Britt. President Obama has a highly secured BlackBerry that he uses to get emails, and it has two functions. One is to mask his physical location when he's using it, and the second is to make sure every email, every text message, every phone call has been vetted and pre-approved for him to receive. It's called whitelisting. So if you or I had the president's email, if we sent him a message, it would be blocked and it would bounce back. So the question is, did he receive the Clinton emails on the BlackBerry? And if so, when did his team direct the White House communications office to accept that email and whitelist it? Because it's- There could be a lot of connections, and, I, and the FBI might have something huge that they're getting into. And of course, the Clinton campaign is trying to downplay it. There is no case here. You notice how CNN adds that crowd noise in the background? That's not real audio. That they've they've sweetened the crowd cheer. Yeah. Listen to it. There is no case here. They weren't cheering like I saw the original stream. They there there was clapping and stuff like that. But right. that that is a fake sound effect that CNN adds to make it and sound they, like. And then they add in the jump zooms to make it more dramatic. Yeah. And to speed it up. And they, so it may make it sound like Hillary has a bunch of support. And then they do the jump cuts to make it more dramatic. And because there because there's a background soundtrack of the audience that's fake, they can cut out pauses in the audio and you don't notice it because the it's, background yeah, track remains constant. consistent. Right. There is no case here. Hillary Clinton and her campaign firing back at FBI Director James Comey. 
slamming his decision to notify Congress of a new investigation into thousands of emails found on a computer belonging to the estranged husband of a top Clinton aide, Huma Abedin. Now, notice they're not saying it's ridiculous that this investigation is happening. What they're pissed off about is the way it was announced, right? which is interesting. And uh, also, another point to your Unfiltered show, it was months ago, months and months ago, we said, pay attention to the name Uma Abedin. That's going to come up again before the election's over. Totally called it. Clinton aide, Uma Abedin. Clinton's campaign turning the tables on Comey. It's impossible to view this as anything less than a blatant double standard. Seizing on reports that Comey refused to publicly comment on potential ties between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia. On Sunday, Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid accused Comey of sitting on, quote, explosive information for Trump's Russia connections without offering proof. CNN cannot corroborate any of these reports. But U.S. officials do tell CNN that Russia is behind hacks that could potentially influence the U.S. election. Uh, Meanwhile, Trump is capitalizing on... They just they just said potentially influence the election. That's what they just said in that CNN report. Yeah, they they yeah. just said that. Is it, so uh, Putin even says, uh, is the American public so stupid? Are they a banana republic that they think that I could somehow influence them? Do they have no faith in their own democracy? Right. Uh, yeah, I just... Yeah. Wow. They try to, they try to make it about... I, I just find it uh, hilarious that at first, you know, when uh, Mr. Comey, my good friend, says, you know, hey, you know, we don't have enough uh, to put charges against her. The Clinton, great. Yeah, the Clinton great. campaign was like, you know what? He's Comey is sp- speaking the truth. He is I on might, it. I might have a clip on that. Actually, I want to finish off this one. Uh, That's, yeah, I agree. Attorneys responding, saying in a statement, quote, from the beginning, Ms. Abedin has complied fully and voluntarily with State Department and law enforcement requests. And reiterating, Abedin only learned of the emails on Wiener's computer on Friday from the press. Clinton continuing to apologize. It sounds like it's possible that what it was is like an entire like Outlook account was set up on there and it downloaded all I, of the emails. I have a theory, but it's just a theory. And I've heard this theory in other places, too. Mm-hmm. So as many people may know or may not know, Uma and Mr. Wiener are in the middle of a divorce. Hold on. I know they're estranged. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm all yeah, up to speed. I, know. I, I am doubtful they're actually going to get divorced. Oh, you think? There's some legal things that change if they get divorced that are much more convenient. It's probably the same reason Bill and Hillary are still married. Uh, I follow you. I follow you. But I was, I was thinking, though, where she goes, well, I never use that computer or whatever the case may be. That I was thinking about this, too. That Actually, it doesn't even have to be about divorce. What if Wiener just knows that the Clintons kill people and he just needs an insurance policy? This was his, his Trump card? Yeah. And you know why? You know, he checked himself into sex rehab today because he doesn't want to be murdered. Yeah. <laughs> He's but, the only place he can go where he won't get shot. That's true. On, during wow. a, when a robbery goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I thought or about she this. she was being lazy one day. She, log, you know, she grabs his MacBook or whatever it is, his Lenovo, logs into Outlook. It downloads a copy of everything in her out in her. She's got a account. huge PST. Then it goes offline. They delete all of the emails off the server, off everybody's computers. They free, she doesn't even remember that she set up Outlook on Wiener's computer. That's right. And then ever they have a copy of everything. So everything they thought, all the Yogi emails. It's they all there. It's all there. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. And of course, the Justice Department, your good friend. My Buddy. Loretta Lynch tried to stop this whole thing before it got to Congress. 
An FBI source confirmed to Fox that top Justice Department officials tried to stop Director James Comey from informing Congress he was reigniting the investigation of Hillary Clinton, warning Comey it violated two department policies, commenting on an ongoing probe and taking action that could influence an election. The FBI source said while Comey reports to Attorney General Loretta Lynch, he does not play by cautious mother may I rules and took Lynch at her word. We take it seriously and we handle it independently, thoroughly, fairly. A senior law enforcement official added Comey felt compelled to act because the FBI found over 10,000 of top Clinton aide Huma Abedin's emails from a laptop she has shared with estranged husband Anthony Weiner. The L.A. Times is reporting the new Aberdeen emails were not to and from Clinton. And top Democrats in Congress jumped on that today to write to Comey and Lynch demanding a more complete accounting of, quote, information from your career investigators and prosecutors in order to debunk these conspiracy theories and correct the public record. I, of course, they're both Democrats. I suspect that, uh, that this is probably not going to get much more resolution uh, between no. now and the election. I, I find it very – and I sent you an audio message Yeah, and right when this broke. And, you know, Hillary wanted, wanted oh, they should release whatever information they have. And I, and I said to you, and I'm paraphrasing, that she's freaked out because she knows there's some stuff on there. Now, she's, she's throwing this face but She at, doesn't know what they have versus what they exactly. might not have. Exactly. And then that's why she's, she's like, oh, release everything. Release it. Because she's freaked out. She's really freaked out. And I don't think I've ever really seen her freaked out. And so she's, she's trying to get them to show their cards before she shows her cards. Well, absolutely. And so she's getting all of her Democratic buddies in line to say, hey, I need you to help me fight this because we need, we need some info. We need, a, we need to know a little bit. We and and Trump can't on. win. And Trump can't win. Uh, but I, right. let's play this clip. There's something interesting that they're doing that I think could blow the whole thing, could ruin all of it. Oh. That agents at FBI facilities in Quantico are now combing over thousands of emails on a laptop belonging to disgraced Congressman Anthony Weiner and his estranged wife, Huma Abedin, key aide to Hillary Clinton. Just eight days from the election, the FBI has now obtained a warrant to search those emails found in a separate investigation of Weiner for allegedly sexting with a minor. Officials tell CNN that Comey was made aware of the emails in mid-October, but only went to hmm. Congress with the information after he was given a fuller briefing on Thursday. I think that's kind of interesting. I wonder, there's I got something else I want to talk about. Okay. Today, the White House walking a fine line, praising Director Comey's character. Director Comey is a man of integrity. He's a man of principle. He's a man who is well regarded by senior officials in both parties. But communicating the importance of FBI traditions, limiting public discussion of ongoing investigations. Tradition and policy. Tradition and policy. Why would he go out of his way with all of this tradition and policy? See, to, why is he notifying Congress if he doesn't even know what the emails have? See, I got the impression, and from because I read his statement that he released on Friday, and my impression was... You know, he testified in front of Congress, which is a legal record of what he knew and what he had. He was brought information to his attention as of Thursday. He got a briefing on Thursday. He didn't sit on it. He didn't wait on it. He said, hey, we have some new information that have come to light and we need to go into it. And, and if you're trying to prosecute one of the most powerful politicians in the world, let alone U.S. history, that is running for the president right now, you probably want to be as transparent as possible. Right. I grant you all of that. Right. However... I bet politically 
he could have done this without notifying Congress publicly, and everyone like in the Justice Department yeah. and up to the Obama administration would have backed him. He didn't have to do this. That's true. I have a theory. What's your theory? And I haven't talked about it yet for weeks on this show. Okay. And finally, I got a little audio that helps put it in perspective. All right. For weeks and weeks and weeks, I have been reading different posts saying that internally, the FBI was revolting. Have you heard this? They yeah, were, I, I heard about this. Cause, record cause, resignations. Cause, yeah, because they, they were upset at the fact that they had all this evidence against Hillary, and he wasn't following through on it. And they essentially, what Comey did was they he now set the bar so that future Secretary of States could do something like this. Right. And it was, it 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 brought the agency down a level that they were upset about, and I... I un, I come I have come to the understanding that he was actually starting to feel the pressure. That agents at FBI oh. facility. Sorry, that was the last. Clip. I agree with that. Yeah, agents at the FBI facility. Now, okay, yeah. Now here is uh, this is an author Ed Klein who's very familiar with the situation, and he goes into detail. FBI. Well, after FBI Director James Comey recommended against indicting Hillary Clinton or charges, that is to say, and considered the investigation into her email over back in July, he was reportedly overwhelmed with resignation requests and regret. This according to a close source of Comey's who spoke to writer Ed Klein, who joins us right now live. His book is called Guilty of as Sin. Ed, nice to have you. Great to be here. Okay. Um, so ever since July, apparently the, the rank-and-file FBI agents were really steamed at him, and inside the FBI, the, to- the atmosphere is toxic. When James Comey would walk down the hallways of the FBI and say good morning, right. people wouldn't talk back to him. That's how bad things had been in the FBI. Wow. There's a sense that the that he disgraced the institution. Plus, he's getting burned constantly uh, by conservative media. He's constantly getting burned. So I feel like he felt pressured to step out and say, I'm looking into this. I've been given new evidence. Um, and we do have a little more information supplied by the judge. Just now with more by phone is our Fox News senior judicial analyst, Judge Anna Napolitano. Judge, I mean, what first just your reaction at one o'clock today when you saw this cross the wires well my reaction is there must be something substantial there uh, that the fbi did not see before that's what it i is thought entirely too. feasible that this has to do with whether or not huma abedin told the truth when she testified the fbi to the fbi or it could be something that was deleted from mrs clinton's servers and the fbi didn't see it my other reaction was from and Director Comey's letter and the fact that he also sent it to the chairs of the intelligence committees as well as the congressional judiciary committees is this probably does involve national security. Mm-hmm. And when FBI agents looked at it, they did not know for sure if it was classified or not. And they need to confer with their colleagues in the intelligence community in order to make that determination. And it's probably they didn't know because the markings have been removed. Yeah. And here's what could happen is even if they don't get Hillary, I think they're going to get Uma. And if they if you take out Uma Abedin, that will cripple Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Uma. So you can you can you can look this up. But there are there are lots of people that say that uh, Uma Abedin is is Cl- uh, Clinton's external storage. She knows all of the connections between different people. She understands calendars, how to schedule things, who means who needs to get paid off for what, who who's still owed a favor. She keeps all of it clear for Hillary, and without her, she is going to be lost in the White House. So that could be that could be bad. 
that could be really bad. And I, you know, you got to wonder if the Clinton campaign thinking maybe we should just publish the emails. Maybe we should just ask what's on the computer. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, where Hillary Clinton campaigned this week. Joining me now from Clinton headquarters in Brooklyn, New York, to discuss Friday's shocker is Clinton campaign manager Robbie Look at that, look at that mug. Robbie, what's uh, your reaction to FBI so Director Comey's announcement, and why do you think he did it? Chris, well, thanks for having me. Um, you know, we were very surprised uh, by this letter. And what we're asking at this point is that Director Comey just get all the information uh, out on the table, all of it, so that the American people can There's judge the for themselves. That's what you were commenting on. That's the line right there. Yeah. That's it. It goes back and forth. That's the official line. But uh, right. yeah, you, you, you mentioned, remember in the past when they really loved Comey? Oh, yeah. Democrats talked about James Comey before Friday. Here it is. There was an extensive, as you know, Brett, investigation by the FBI under the direction of a wonderful uh, and tough career public servant, Jim Comey. This is a great man. We are very privileged in our country to have him uh, be the director of the FBI. No one can question the integrity the confidence. And he's somebody. What's great about all three of these, Reed and yeah, Pelosi. They all came out. Yes, yes, yes. With yes. the highest uh, standards of integrity. I'm going to continue to be scrupulous about not commenting on it just because I think Director Comey could not have been more exhaustive. Amazingly, some Republicans who were praising you just days ago for your independence, for your integrity. Despite your impeccable reputation. You get the point. You get the point. The music gets a little old, but you get the point. They just went on and on, just throwing praise on him. And then... <laughs> yeah, and then now this. So here's on D, here's the details on, on what's next, essentially, which I think is kind of interesting to think about. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harris live in D.C. on this, and Josh Ernest had a lot to say about it yesterday. Catherine, today, uh, take us through or give us a guide as to what's next for the FBI now. Well, while FBI forensic computer experts have developed a software program with key search terms, what analysts call taglines. This is what I'm worried about. This whole thing is going to be based on some software program that they've developed. See, yeah. I mean, first this off. This is bad. Well, here's the thing, Chris. I mean, you know this. I mean, I've heard numbers like in the upper 600,000 range. That's what I've heard too, yeah. And to be honest, it, without using a program of some sort... It would take literally years to go through all these I emails. I just am really worried about this. I have I no faith when it comes to the FBI's technical. Just use star, you know, period star. ...program with key search terms, what analysts call taglines, and this process of sifting through thousands of records on Anthony Weiner's computer has begun. The warrant will now allow FBI investigators to move beyond the metadata on Weiner's computer, which had positive hits for State Department as well as Clinton server emails, to search the contents of these messages. Law enforcement sources familiar with the process have told Fox News that once the records are identified, a second phase will kick in for mm. the FBI, known as eyes on. That's a phrase agents use for like physically reading yeah. and reviewing the records. And just like the original email case, classified review, the intel agencies that generated the info have final say on classification. The Justice Department sent this letter late yesterday yes, to Capitol there Hill, it is. to make every resource available to expedite this process, but given the sheer number of records involved, it really is a long <laughs> shot. It will be complete by election day. So uh, for our audio listeners, by the way, uh, Catherine Heritage did show a prop there in the middle. So. In the classic Catherine Heritage style, too, yes. with that uh, that sort of like pivotal uh, elbow Whip motion. Where she, boom, up, yeah. yes. 
complete by election day. So you have exclusive details about uh, what went down over the weekend. What have you learned so far on this? <laughs> well, the original Clinton email case used a multi-agency national security task force to Whoa. assess the classified material because beyond the criminal matter, the priority is understanding whether sources and methods of intelligence have been compromised and what the fallout is. An intelligence source now tells Fox News that same task force was re-engaged over the weekend with a directive to identify new classified material with analysts working overlapping shifts covering 16 hours a day. Whoa, wow. Analysts understood the FBI director wanted more clarity on the records as well as granularity of the information if by Monday he faced even more pressure from Congress and the White House to update on that letter he sent Friday to Congress. So they have been drilling down yeah. over the weekend, even before the warrant was yeah. uh, obtained on Sunday. Holy crap, they're Which taking this seriously. some major seriousness And that, the, that the fact that they're working with national security agencies and intelligence agencies also, like the judge said, makes me think that there is something serious in there. I... Uh, you know, listening to that, I find it uh, funny because they're talking about one investigation right now. They're talking about the email investigation. There's actually a second investigation going on that's not getting a lot of discussion, and I guess it's a big one, and it's being it's being run by the number two in charge at the FBI. There is a big investigation going on into the Clinton Foundation, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that could lead somewhere eventually. So we'll keep an ear out for that. But I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to play Trey Gowdy's response to Harry Reid's attack on uh, on James Comey because I thought it was it was pretty good. That was October one year ago. Joining us from Greenville, South Carolina, Republican Congressman Trey Gowdy, who chaired the House Benghazi Committee, who uncovered the existence of Clinton's personal email account back in March of 2015. That's when this all started. Uh, so, sir, we want to get your take on on the latest developments. There's this letter here from Senate Democratic Minority Leader Harry. Uh, who stepped into the fight over FBI Director James Comey's letter. And writing to Comey yesterday, Reid said this, Your actions in recent months have demonstrated a disturbing double standard for the treatment of sensitive information with what appears to be a clear intent to aid one political party over another. So this oh. is Senator Reid. This, this is the strong... Democratic line. This is the strong Hillary supporters line. In fact, he even ratchets it up here. I'm writing to inform you that my office has determined that these actions may violate the Hatch Act, which bars FBI officials from using their official authority to influence an election. What's your reaction to that? Uh, just how laughable uh, that is. Uh, you know, it was the it, it was the attorney general who met with the spouse of the target of an investigation on the tarmac. That's and right. the president himself prejudged the outcome of the investigation during the pendency of the investigation. And Senator Reid didn't write a letter to either one of them about the Hatch Act. I mean, President Obama is actively campaigning right now for a candidate for president. And that doesn't violate the Hatch Act. So how Jim Comey supplementing his record before Congress violates the Hatch Act is just laughable. <laughs> I love it. Good for him. Good and for him. And one. <laughs> so here is uh, here's something that's just a little fun before we go completely off all the controversies. It is neat to go back in time and be able to pull out clips from the Clintons because they've been around forever. Oh, yeah. And Clinton Gore in 92 seized on a big legal snafu for Bush 
Uh, and you might remember some of this, so I take you back in time to 1992, when in the final days of the election, Bush was thrown a legal challenge and the Clinton campaign jumped all over and it. And all along, the Clinton campaign has been trying to make an issue of George Bush's credibility. The revelations today about Iran-Contra played right into that theme. Today's disclosure that President Bush knew and approved of the arms for hostages deal with Iran not only directly contradicts the president's claims, it diminishes the credibility of the presidency. It raises the question, first and most importantly, about whether he's told the truth in this campaign and for the last uh, five years. And uh, secondly, it raises the whole question of his support for the policy. But the far more important thing is whether for five years he's been telling the American people something about his conduct of foreign policy as vice president, which was simply not true. <laughs> it's kind of fun to, to see him sort of uh, hit the same things you could just say about Hillary now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Bill, uh, this is this is the problem, the Clinton Foundation. This is a big problem, and uh, WikiLeaks has a lot of emails on this stuff. Are we going to do this? But their joint appearance competing for headlines with the latest stolen email leaked by WikiLeaks. Stolen email leaked by WikiLeaks. And this is, this is, this is particularly egregious because... Andrea Mitchell is a longtime news industry professional, and anybody in this industry, you would think, would understand that their words matter. Right. So she says stolen. Absolutely. Okay, well, I, I think you could – I think stolen yeah. is probably fair. Yeah. What I take issue with, and this is not just Andrea Mitchell, but it, uh, NBC is one of the worst at it, is the emails aren't being leaked by WikiLeaks. They are being published. Correct. Just like when she shows a screenshot of it in a sense on television, she's publishing them. They are publishing you the are emails, very correct but here. they are not leaking the emails. Right. Are we going to do this? But their joint appearance competing for headlines with the latest stolen email leaked by WikiLeaks, not verified by NBC News. No, of course not. Describing how Bill Clinton personally profited, receiving millions of dollars in speaking and consulting fees from Clinton Foundation donors. Former Bill Clinton aide Doug Ban writing a 2011 memo calling it Bill Clinton Inc. We have dedicated <laughs> ourselves to helping the president secure and engage in for-profit for activities, including speeches, books, and advisory service engagements. In all, Ban says he secured more than $50 million for the former president. Personally, not the camp, through the foundation. Right. Through the foundation by selling these people access, and I will have way more information in the overtime, so stick through to the overtime. There's a big clip with lots of numbers in it, but there is big stuff that the New York Times is digging through right now. Uh, and so really, what, what, what Clinton wants you to do, and, and she, this is her message out of, after all of this stuff that's been revealed this week, don't think about it and go out there and vote early. You have 11 <laughs> told days you that too. to go. What would you say to a voter who right now <laughs> will be seeing you and hearing what you're saying, saying, I didn't trust her before, I don't trust her anymore right now, and they're heading to the ballot box tomorrow. You know, I think people a long time ago made up their minds about uh, the emails. I think that's factored into uh, what people think. And uh, now they're choosing a president. So I would urge everybody to get out and vote early in all the states that uh, have early voting, because I think Americans want a president 
who can lead, go out and early vote, lead our country, who can get the economy working for everyone, not just those at the top. You know, when she says that I'm going to I'm going to make our country work together, I'm going to unite. Who buys that? And who can bring our country together? No way is a Clinton going to do that. No way. Look what she's done already before she's even got in the office. I, well, remember the whole speech on deplorables. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that's not somebody who's talking about uniting the country. You're alienating part of the country. So I got two Trump clips and then let's talk about our predictions of who's going to win. All okay. Right. Okay. We never thought we were going to say thank you to Anthony Weiner. This has been a good week for him. <laughs> this has been a good week for This Trump. is on Sunday. She made 13 phones disappear, some with a hammer. She lied to Congress under oath. She lied to the FBI many times. And then two boxes. Two boxes. Email evidence. Not one box. Recently. Just recently. Went mysteriously missing. Then you have the WikiLeaks revelations, which have exposed criminal corruption at the highest levels of our government. Hillary put the office of Secretary of State up for sale. And if she ever did get the chance, which we're not going to let her have, she'd put the Oval Office up for sale. Oh. Also. You have no doubt about that. Oh. So, by the way, just reviewing the Red Book right now, yes. before we go any further, yeah. uh, I've got to just make a call out here, Mr. Chase. You predicted Brywy would be back in the booth at NBC by the uh, by the end of the, by the by this point in the elections. All right. So of course he has gotten a good comfy position on MSNBC. Right. I don't know. And, if he, that was... and he has done some emergency fill-ins on NBC News. But election night's coming up, so he might be there for the coverage. Okay. All right. So I see. I think I see. Uh, okay. I see your. I see your prediction in one thirty-six. Uh-huh. And okay. what was, uh huh. So what, what do we got? I'm going to play one more Trump oh, clip okay. for you, right. and then we'll get to it. The FBI reportedly spent several months investigating Russia's potential meddling in the U.S. election and found no direct link to Donald what? Trump. What? According to the New York Times, but all those things Hillary said. Yeah, those must be true. Officials examined ties between Trump's business and a Russian bank. They also looked at a former Trump campaign chairman's long relationship with pro-Russian officials in Ukraine. Sources told The Times that apparent connections between some of Trump's aides and Moscow originally compelled them to open a broad investigation, but they uncovered no clear evidence. A few moments later. <laughs> but does she have a point? Do they have a point in saying there's a double standard that no one is really investigating the Russian claims against the Trump campaign? So even though in the in just a <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I, again, according to this reporting this morning, the FBI has apparently been investigating the Russian. So yeah, it's even yeah. though they just reported on it, they still continue. To push that narrative forward. All right, so I'm looking at a few things here. Uh, Chase, in episode 136 of our unfiltered program, that was a long time ago. You said that uh, Hillary will not be president in uh, in 2016. Yeah, and in unfiltered 137, I said she will get elected for one term. Okay. So, uh, do you want to revisit your election now? One week. So, out, so there's a couple five days. Out. So, a couple things I want to say on that. First off, I am. Uh, First off, I it's my fault for not truly fully respecting the power of the Clinton machine, right? And you know, I thought for sure that the American people would not even get her get get her past the primary, right? 
obviously now we know the sabotage that happened against Bernie Sanders. I think if that sabotage didn't occur, she wouldn't have made it past the See, I didn't, I didn't have specifics at the time, but I figured this woman has been planning for eight to 12 years to run for president uh, in like high gear and probably 25 to 30 years in low gear. Right. So I just, I, I knew that she was building a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Now that being said, she could probably, you know, uh, right now the numbers, I think 533, they're, uh, they're saying uh, there's I, a 67% chance that she'll still win. Um, that being said, though, if these emails have damaging stuff in them to the point where she could be the first president impeached before she actually takes office. So you, you're actually switching your... your, your... I think she's going to get in. Really? I really do. But she's going to get in, and there's going to be like a big asterisk because of this investigation. Yeah, here's what I think. So I think she's. Uh, I think um, I, I think, don't want her to get in, but I think she will. I think since I re refactored my position, I think Trump's done as, as well as I exactly as I expected. I think the thing that didn't go the way I expected in this whole thing was this email stuff. I had no idea that we would have this concession of leaks leading up to the election. Yeah. I thought, honestly, I thought it was going to end at the private email server. She was going to be cleared just like she was. Right. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. Right. And then she would spend the last, you know, post-debates, post-convention election just knocking it out of the park with her machine. Yeah. Um, and then when she collapsed at the 9-11 event, I thought and to she myself- she was dragged into the vehicle. Thrown in there like a side of beef. I thought to myself, this- is the moment she just lost the election. Only she bounced back stronger than ever from that. I heard a th- another theory. This is not my theory. Uh, I don't. I forget who I heard it from. So I think if hold on one second. I yeah, think if the, if the nine eleven event can't take her down, I don't feel like this can because I don't think we're going to get anything concrete before the election. That's my guess. Oh yeah, and not th- time. I believe at the end of the day. The public has already factored in this particular Hillary's corruption, and I think they're probably going to vote. Anyways, I don't think this necessarily changes the general public's calculus because, like Hillary said, they've already made up their mind. I just, I, I mean, first off, I would it's love- going to be the skin of her teeth, and, it's, and if anything, it's going to be electoral college, not the popular vote. Oh, totally. I think what could happen, and I heard this theory too, is that she she'll get in, everything will be fine there, and then she'll have a health issue. You know the 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 fainting, whatever you want to call it. Her uh, her condition has finally caught up with her, and uh, in addition to the email scandal, right? And then Kane will become president, and then Kane will pardon Hillary. He'll be a one term president. Hillary will be pardoned, so you, no one can touch her. And there you go. Hmm. So I uh, I have uh, I have a theory as to why Hillary has to run for office, even if she is sick, even if she's under so much uh, controversy, and uh, it'll be revealed in the overtime. But I thought before we left, because another thing that's big next week isn't just the presidential election, but also it's something we cover a lot. It's the legalization of cannabis, or many states, and I'll be definitely be tracking that next week for sure. Voters in five states next month will decide whether to let it burn to legalize recreational Uh, marijuana. Pot will be on the ballot this election day in California, Nevada, Arizona, and Massachusetts, and Maine, too. Over the past four years, four states, including Colorado, have approved recreational marijuana laws. Marijuana use is still illegal under federal law, but 57 percent of Americans believe it should be legal 
For 60 Minutes on Sunday, our chief medical correspondent, Dr. John LaPoupe, investigates the impact of legalizing recreational marijuana. So I was hoping when LaPoupe went out there and did this that uh, this would be sort of... Remember when CNN made the pivot to being pro-cannabis? Yeah, and they had their embedded reporter. Sanjay Gupta. Exactly. uh, They just went all in. And I thought, maybe this is CBS because the the, the public polls are overwhelmingly positive. And I think it's pretty obvious that uh, if you look at the damage that alcohol does, to the body versus the impact that THC has on the body. Alcohol is worse health-wise. So I think there's that's pretty sturdy. But of course, anything that you use that alters your mind, you could use irresponsibly. And what do you want to bet that's what CBS focuses on? In Colorado. Oh, by the way, by the way, this entire piece, they give Colorado credit for, for recreational weed first when it was Washington. Oh, maybe the flights were better in the Colorado. There's huge differences between alcohol and marijuana, and that's one of the things the public really needs to understand. Yeah, marijuana is way safer and does less harm to your body, uh, and you can't kill yourself by smoking it. But, of course, even just calling it marijuana is actually kind of an indication that they're going to be they're, they have an anti-spin because it's actually cannabis. That's the name of it. Marijuana is slang that was created to change the public's yep. opinion about it. Episode one. So this girl right here, this woman, she's a researcher, but yet she doesn't know that. She calls it marijuana. It shows, it betrays an agenda right there. And there's also a logical fallacy in this piece. We shouldn't legalize it yet because we need more research. But you can't do the research unless it's legal. And that's one of the things the public really needs to understand is they think, well, we can take all the rules and everything we've set up for alcohol and just transfer them over. And they can't do that. Right. Dr. Especially, especially the blood alcohol test. Oh, kind you of, can't. Yeah. That is, this is one of the biggest problems with cannabis. And that's what this researcher should be saying is different people are affected differently by THC levels much, much more broadly than with alcohol blood levels. And you cannot use that as a benchmark to gauge somebody's overall imperity. Yep. And she even kind of gets close to the point in this, but then fails to mention that. Alan Houston, former chief of chemistry and drug metabolism at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, has been studying marijuana's effects on the human body for more than 25 years. When you take alcohol, it has its effects and then it leaves the body. When you take cannabis, it gets into the tissues of your body and is stored. It can be stored in the fat. It's stored in the fat. How about in the brain? And the brain is a very fat, fatty tissue. So the implication here is that alcohol enters your system and then it just passes through. It leaves. No harm is done to your liver. No damage is done to your overall body or your cognitive functions. You're fine. You just piss it out. But when you smoke, that enters your fat in your brain and you're super stoned for days and you don't even know it because it's spooky THC that remains hidden behind. You're just just a little stoned because it's stuck in there and it's bad. Cannabis, it gets into the tissues of your body and is stored. You know what else gets in the tissues of my body? Cheese. (laughs) Bacon. (laughs) Soda. It can be stored in the fat. It's stored in the fat. How about in the brain? And Anything that is fat soluble. The brain is a very fat fatty tissue. And so we know that it's still in the brain when you can no longer measure it in the blood. Colorado law says anyone with five nanograms per milliliter or more of THC in their blood can be arrested for driving while impaired. But by the time a police officer gets a suspect back to the station and tests their blood, the marijuana can be out of their bloodstream. That's also totally bullshit. That is such bullshit. It can be in your bloodstream. They can detect it in your bloodstream for weeks after you've consumed cannabis. So that's bullshit. In the the blood? 
In a urine test. Well, in a urine test, they're saying blood specifically. Yeah, I would assume, though, if it's in your urine. I heard the blood test, that's right. I mean, it, it can be gone with so, so why are they doing a blood test? Why aren't they doing a urine test? Well, because they know the urine test is not accurate. It doesn't show impairment. What they're trying to show is impairment at, so my at point, the time of the crime. Here's my point. This is right. this is exactly my point. This is if you got the okay. So yeah. you got the piss test. You can't test based on that because it doesn't show overall impairment. If you get in there and it supposedly doesn't last in your blood long enough, but yet it's in your brain tissues, how are they going to properly measure it? Right. How the, can they measure it unless they measure it on location? That's the only way to get an accurate measurement. Yeah, and they and they and they are testing. Uh, you know, these portable. I've heard of these companies. Yes, yes, and they're about to get that. But then this leads to my next problem: is then what number are you going by? How are you going by? Right. And and I think this is the problem with this particular piece is because they're all over the map. They're not staying focused on one specific thing. And I don't understand why we would rely on blood tests if we know that by the time they get there, the blood tests don't work. And if the P test can't give them enough of an impairment and, and, level. And by the way, that happens to I, I was watching, uh, you know, British cops on YouTube and, you know, they, they do a breathalyzer. But the one that counts is at the station. And by the time they get back to the station, even when he blows, he, he may not be blowing a point oh eight anymore. He may be blowing just under that. So that happens with alcohol as well. So they're going to come up with these swabs. Police officer gets a suspect back to the station and tests their blood. The marijuana can be out of their bloodstream. Roadside oral swab tests for marijuana are now being evaluated by Colorado police. So far, Colorado has not seen a huge spike in marijuana abuse by teens or in driving while high. See, my issue here is uh, that they they're taking they're taking like these questions around the testing and how they should do it and they're making that the issue instead of asking is this the right way to test at all right and, and, and I'm not opposed to testing for impairment and saying you're too impaired to drive that could be a good thing but my totally. God let's yeah. do it the right way so we're actually yeah. keeping people off the road that shouldn't be on the road well, let's, that's let's, my problem let's get some science up in here and let's let's find a way. Some science up on here. All right, so then they go back to the CBS studio just to kind of wrap this thing up with the ever insightful uh, CBS panel, of course. Of course. Dr. Donald Pook joins us now. Good morning. Morning. Uh, so after this, I mean, what conclusions have you reached? Because as you just said, there is no test. Yeah. There's no it, breathalyzer. There's no the equivalent of a, of a breathalyzer for alcohol. You can't, it's hard to tell if you're driving while stoned. So for me, you know, the reason why 60 Minutes went to Colorado is we wanted to go to the place where there's the most experience with it. Again! Thanks. We've, we've we've had we've had Thanks. like a medical marijuana program for like over twenty years. Well, and, other states too, but and recreational cannabis was the first. Yeah, we were the first we're state first because it looks like, as we said in the in the preview, that uh, most Americans do want it to be uh, legal. And if it's going to be legalized, we need to find out, you know, how to do it the most responsible way. And Governor Hickenlooper said to me, "What are the what are the guardrails here? How do you make it so that kids, you know, don't?" So he's gone from opposition to let's see. To let's see. And then when you go there and you speak to doctors and you speak to cops and you speak to scientists, you realize there are so many questions. This is so tricky, which is why we've learned so much. When we so went what more needs to be done, John, to really understand the, recre- the, the effects of recreational use? You know, I really don't. I don't. Be- I don't also don't buy this. Uh, there's this standard uh, and this is actually lower. Uh, I've, I've even heard 20 times in these reports that uh, marijuana today is 20 times stronger than it was in the 70s. It's five times stronger than it was in the mid 80s. Are they are they going back in time and measuring the THC level of plants and then comparing them to today? Uh, no, this is uh, they're well, they're sourcing the Mar- marijuana policy group, which is probably a group of stoners, right? Uh, that uh, get together. <laughs> and they go, dude, I remember back. 
And like like 1980, man, they were so it was so good. It kind of, but it's kind of like uh, in any other industry where you had managed to increase your output, like say tomatoes or right. bananas yeah. or onions or carrots. Yeah, increase your yield. That would be considered a good thing, right? But in 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 cannabis, it's a bad thing, and I because it doesn't well, mean you because here's no yeah here's, because it doesn't mean you have to smoke as much like it means right. you could potentially smoke less That's and right. get the same effects yeah. so it, it, it could actually be a good thing depending on how you look at the crop yields of it well for one thing as governor hickenlooper said we need to start uh getting data now so one of the problems that they had in colorado was yes they were able to measure in babies for example newborn babies marijuana in the system uh there have been a, a slight increase that they've measured of fatal car crash where they find marijuana in the driver but is that a change? They don't have any good baseline data. And he doesn't mention that in all of those cases, alcohol was involved, too. And the, here's the other mm-hmm. issue. is that's this, We're getting that same bullshit here in Washington where they're starting to say well, we're seeing an increase in cannabis usage in, in fatal car accidents. And they never give hard numbers. And the problem is is they're only now beginning to check for cannabis, so they yeah. don't really have prep past data. And the issue is in, they don't also say – they should be saying – and they also involved other drugs. Right. And they, you could also say, and they also spin it too. And they say there's been a, a 25% increase in marijuana uh, involved accidents. Mm-hmm. Well, 20% of what? I mean, you could say last year there was zero, and now there's, you know, whatever the, or not zero, but two to five or whatever, whatever 20% works out to. You're, you're just throwing out a big number to kind of scare people. So in Washington, the number was 35 deaths that involved cannabis. And of course, they said it would, they, you know, they it was a huge increase. A big statistic, yeah, yeah, because it was, yeah, it was proportional to zero. Right. Uh, but in every single instance, same in Colorado, there's alcohol involved. Yeah. And that is, that is a fundamental fact that we have to kind of include in the discussion if we're going to have a, if we're going to have an honest discussion about something the American people obviously want legalized, then we need to be discussing it like adults and not just talking about the individual totally. talking points. Yeah. I want to and I want to wrap it up because I really I personally feel that there is a segment of the recreational cannabis market that is very quickly trending to more like a high wi- high end wine or whiskey. Yeah. And this clip kind of covers that. <laughs> Clean and pristine like a fancy boutique. But at Harborside Health Center in Oakland, only licensed patients can buy the wares. The product is marijuana, from a whole plant to a plethora of tiny buds to this. From caramels to cookies to macaroons to little pieces of chocolate, there is no end to the number of ways that you can take in cannabis. Here, there are 34 different edibles. And it's actually because anything, again, that's fat-soluble, you can get THC to go into and you can make food from candy to sauces. And one day soon, the owner hopes to be able to sell those to adults without a medical card. California is the biggest battleground for the next wave of marijuana legalization for adult recreational use. While other states have done it, the decision here could be a game changer. California represents one-sixth of the United States economy. And so whatever happens in California is necessarily going to affect the rest of the country. Yep. Dale Sky Jones is the executive chancellor that. at Oaksterdam University in Oakland, America's first cannabis university. She points out California was the first to legalize cannabis for medical use, the first to put a proposition on the ballot for legal adult recreational use. But it failed. Other states, though, followed suit, won, and big money followed. Colorado brought in more than $36 million in taxes and fees in the first 10 months of recreational marijuana sales there. And I think it's like, what, $2.5 billion right now? Yeah, it's, it's an astronomical number. 
big business is paying attention. With the alcohol and tobacco industries trying to figure out if cannabis is a threat to business or the next big opportunity for growth. Yeah. In the past, the alcohol industry contributed money to the campaign against legalization. Yep, follow the money. I think that there will be some people that perhaps choose a, a bud over a bud. But she and other longtime proponents of legalizing cannabis say there is another scenario. I think there's a fantastic opportunity for the alcohol industry here. Uh, Cannabis consumers increasingly are preferring beverages over smoked (laughs) cannabis. That's actually really true. Uh, Like there are. Are they saying a beer infused cannabis? No, no. Well, (laughs) maybe, but there's sodas and juices. So Bud Squared. Those are the number one sellers for some of the cannabis places. The alcohol industry has the bottling plants. They have the trucks to distribute the beverages. They know how to do this. They simply need to remove the alcohol and replace it with cannabis. But the debate over cannabis legalization is fierce here. We found it is also deeply personal to many involved. Which is ironic because the schools receive some of the most funding with a lot of these different systems. I had two stepchildren age 12 and 14 that got addicted to marijuana and then meth. Roger, Roger, come here. Come here for a minute, Roger. You know what, Roger? It's actually it's it's talking about marijuana and cannabis like this. That I, this is the only argument I can come up with why it's a gateway drug because you are told that marijuana is so dangerous and so scary that you should avoid it, or you could be thrown into a world of drugs. And then if you try it, you discover it's fucking harmless. Yeah. And then you think, well, wait a minute. Maybe they're lying about everything else because that beer didn't hurt me. No. And that joint didn't hurt me. And that cigarette didn't kill me. So maybe that's how it's a gateway drug because you are lied to about its danger and then you get your first hands-on experience with you and go, well, I didn't die. This is totally fine. I, my life hasn't been ruined. And so it's by, it's by lying to your children about the dangers of cannabis, you are also then project – you are creating this very problem. Yeah. You are creating this, this mystery around drugs. Yeah. And then when they enter into one of the most easily available drugs because cannabis is available everywhere in the world – they get access to this so e- easier. It is easier for children to, at least in Washington. Yeah. And this is even before recreational pot. I remember when I was in high school years ago, it was I could get pot anytime I wanted, oh, yeah. but I couldn't necessarily <laughs> get beer unless I stole it from my own parents. Right. Like I could get pot anytime I wanted to from different groups, from the nerds, from the jocks. Everybody had pot. Maybe that's just because there's nothing else to do in Arlington. But <laughs> when you lie to your children about the dangers of it, you 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 are creating the very problem. What you do is You're you creating ha- the problem. I mean, you have an open conversation. You just say, hey. Uh, you know, Dylan, I'm just going to use Dylan as an example. You know, you're like, hey, buddy, you know, you're going to be exposed to all these different things, you know, and, you know, you just have an open and frank conversation with your kids. A lot of people, when it comes to drugs, they just say, stay away from all of them. Yeah, it's like abstinence training for sex. It's like stay away from all drugs. And the problem is, is it's it's it would seem that history is bared out. That doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, you just be honest. You say, hey, look, you know, if you drink alcohol, at your age, it's not a good idea because of this, this, and this. It's not bad when you're an adult or anything like that, but, you know, it's it's those kind of conversations that you just have. I mean, Roger here, you know, he was producer, by the way, on Reefer Madness. I'm kidding. No, he wasn't. But, I mean, it's like he's talking that way. It's like... Well, he is from an interest group, but I tell, you, I tell you what, too, it, it, the, the the concept that, like, a 10, 11, 12-year-old child could come ad, come, become addicted to cannabis would seem to indicate that there was deep There's psychological going issues on. going on There's with the child. There's something else. 14 
that got addicted to marijuana and then meth in Coronado. My wife and I slept with two dogs in the bedroom and jingle bells on our door for 15 years. Why? For fear my daughter, who was uh, addicted to meth, would kill us in our sleep. So therefore, we shouldn't rec- make we shouldn't make cannabis recreation available to responsible adults right. at a certain age. So I would, by the I, way, this wouldn't make cannabis legal to to eleven year olds. This would no. make cannabis illegal to twenty one year olds. Right. And then I would ask Roger, Hey, Roger, what do you how do you feel about alcohol? I Roger mean, Morgan is part of CalmCA.org, a coalition that opposes legalization. Who do they he get sees their marijuana funding from? as a dangerous gateway drug that will dumb down America, creating a bunch of stoners and cost society big time. The idea that you're going to tax an illicit drug or, or that it's going to be beneficial to America is like alcohol and tobacco. Oh, so, and, so we should just get rid of alcohol and tobacco then? In tax revenue, it costs $10 in social consequences. So to put one more drug on the legal list and expand it two to three times is just going to put the nail further into the coffin. The reason this oh, argument doesn't work for okay. me is because it totally fails to recognize the the huge legal market of prescription drugs, which are which are neurologically altering. Like, yeah. Yeah. But either way, either way, it's going to be interesting. What it's about gonna... the huge opioid, opioid exactly. addiction that's happening right now? I mean, hello, buddy. One of the biggest lies of history and really one of the best marketing programs I've ever seen is this gateway theory that's been denounced by the Institute of Medicine and the World Health Organization. The truth is that cannabis is an exit strategy. Many people that choose alcohol, that choose tobacco, that choose prescription drugs have a safer alternative that's non-toxic, that can't actually kill them. There's no question that if California goes fully legal, that will push the business of marijuana sky high. Ah! Sarah Seidman, ah! CNN, Oakland, California. Ah, so funny she said sky high. I actually oh. think that that theory that cannabis can be used to get off harder drugs, it can help with the withdrawal, with the withdrawals and the I, I downs. I, I yeah. believe that, yeah. and I think that's what the public will discover as it becomes more available. Now, I'm not trying to convince anybody, and if it's not for you, high five. Yeah. You know what? Most time for me, alcohol isn't for me either. It's not my thing. It's not my bag. And you know what? That's great. We have choice. So more to uh, you. More yeah. power to you. Next week, by the way, during our live election coverage, we will be uh, following all the states that have these initiatives on the ballot. We'll be giving you guys updates. We'll also be talking about the election results. But Chris, uh, during this uh, this whole week, more leaks might drop. You might have some thoughts. What's I might a good, have a few leaks. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> oh, at Chris Elias. Yes, buddy. there you go. On what Twitter, about you? doing any leaking? <laughs> I, I leak all the time. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. And if you were following me on the Twitters, I, I showed you some pictures of some behind the scenes stuff at my TV station that I work at. Yeah, I love that. Uh, lots of buttons. Uh, that's <laughs> glorious buttons, buttons, Chase. buttons, buttons. By the way, big shout out to our unfiltered Reddit community at unfiltered.reddit.com. There you can submit your stories, your thoughts, and your ideas. If you are in our international audience, would love to hear from you and see what's going on over there across the yeah. What do you think about what's going on here? I know some of them are already getting the popcorn ready. I oh, hope yeah. they choose to join and commiserate with us. It'll be probably following right after Linux Unplugged. It'll probably go from Linux Unplugged right into this show, and then people are just going to start arriving. We'll just start doing the coverage. Yeah, it's going to be we'll great. And we'll somehow release to show out of all of that, too. Yeah, yeah we'll it's going to be the whole damn thing. You know, just go back four years to our coverage previously. That was an incredible night. I cannot wait this for gonna next be nuts. week. It's going to be great. This is, and then I'm, this, then I'm going to have to purge for a while. I'll tell you what. <laughs> that's a problem for future Chris. Join us next Tuesday, right? It'll yeah, Tuesday. On, yeah, and go, go over to jblive.tv page and tune in and get our live coverage. Also, shout out to our patrons. As a thanks to them, we have an overtime segment coming up that is packed full of information. But in the meantime, see you back here next, next week. week. 
Hide your kids. Hide your wife. It's overtime for episode 211 of your unfiltered program, brought to you by patreon.com slash We've got six new patrons this week, so this is dedicated to those six and all of our supporters at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you to Alex, Zach, David, Habus, Jane, and Matt this week. Those are our new patrons. We got six of you. And man, I I really do appreciate it because we are hustling like never before during the 2016 election. And I really blame it all on Hillary. So I appreciate your support. (laughs) All right. So before we get to the Hillary stuff, and there is... There is some meat on them bones this week in the overtime. I, I want to give you a break, a mental respite, and uh, let's do, let's do one of Mr. Chase's favorite things. And uh, let's start with a unbelievable Pentagon money waste. Well, the Pentagon has spent an eye-watering fifty-eight billion dollars on failed weapons programs over bill. the past twenty years. It's uh, admitted this in a brand new report. In fact, it cites her 23 programs cancelled after billions had already been spent. Among them is something called Future Combat Systems, which did not meet strategy Aww. requirements. A reconnaissance and attack helicopter was also scrapped as ineffective and too costly. Sounds cool. Meanwhile, a so-called expeditionary fighting vehicle was withdrawn due to budget cuts. Now, the Department of Defense claims that it wasn't wasting money and it wasn't a waste of technologies as those parts developed during the failed programs could be used on other weapons. And guys, how do we know if it really sucks unless we try? We gotta try. Otherwise, we'll never know. Well, I don't know if that's actually true. What about looking around what other countries are doing, too? I guess you always gotta be on the forefront. You always gotta be on the forefront. Otherwise, you get embarrassed. You don't want to get lapped. And it's embarrassing when your allies all of a sudden bail on you because you're not the military power you once were. And you can taste that embarrassment right from the State Department in this line of questioning. Uh, I don't want to get too uh, conceptual here. Ooh. But what do you mean it's not borne out by the facts that countries in greater numbers in, in Southeast Asia are becoming friendlier with China? little bit of background here. So this is a story that's been brewing in the press for a while, but especially in the international press. This is much larger. Uh, there's a few things actually, interestingly enough, brewing out of China. And one of them is, is that countries in that area, in that Asia area, are deciding that when it comes time to renegotiate a contract or when it comes time to ask somebody for help, instead of going to America, instead of going to the good old United States of America like they used to do, now they're going to China. <laughs> I mean, it's completely borne out by the facts. Name them. Well, the Philippines, for okay, one. Okay, there's one. <laughs> well, then you just said that it wasn't true. Thailand, perhaps. perhaps Cambodia. Perhaps. So Cambodia. You got one. You got Laos, one so far. You got one. Laos. You got one. Laos. Laos. Cambodia. Malaysia, as we've just seen. Okay, so we have two or three, four, whatever. There's a lot of you nations know, whatever. in the specific region. There's My only point 10. is that you're, this there's idea that there's some sort of... There's a, this idea that there's some sort of landslide movement towards China and away from the United States is simply not borne out by the facts, especially in so many of those countries where we, too, have strong and improving 
bilateral relationships. Uh, so again, th th this is not, it's not, bi they don't have to be binary choices. And we don't, we have nothing to fear from the peaceful, productive rise of China, and we have nothing to fear from nations establishing better and warmer and more productive relationships with China. Okay, but that's that, that wasn't that wasn't what you were saying was not true. Was not borne <laughs> out by the facts. The facts are that there are a number of countries in Southeast Asia that are be the developing better, closer ties. I'm, I don't really. China. I don't want to get into a anyway, over semantics. The, the, the okay, point is, the point I'm the, trying to make is that the this idea that that by that that there are several nations who are reaching out and to develop warmer relations with China. I'm not disputing that, but the notion behind that 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 is something to be feared, that that is some sort of worrisome trend, that that is something that is not in keeping with the whole idea of the rebalance. That isn't that is an inaccurate reading. But it. It, it wasn't the rebalance though designed to keep the United States relevant in an area <laughs> with tremendous oh, Matt, Matt, don't ask that question. economic growth, which is, as you say, a huge transit spot or, a, you know, a, a, an area where lots of the world's commercial trade goes through. It was, the, to, the United States has been and will remain relevant right. in the Asia-Pacific region. But, but wasn't the rebalance wasn't about trying to show. When the world is threatened, when the world needs help, it calls on America. And that's the story. That's the question. What, what's your take on all Just, this? Um, watching this all weekend, I will say, first of all, everyone talks about what Comey did as being outrageous. Uh, this was a great, credible man with great integrity a week ago. So I don't really get that. What if there is something? We're not going to say it was so outrageous. Um, the bottom line is this all goes back to the server, something she shouldn't have done something that was way more than a mistake, way more. And this is a self-inflicted, massive wound. Excuse and me. I I just kept thinking how I've been on my horse going after Republicans <laughs> and the Republican Party. You nominated this guy. You nominated Donald Trump. How could you do that? When I'm thinking Democrats nominated someone who was under an FBI investigation for having a private server, among other things. So here we are. <laughs> and, and here we are. Here's the deal on the warrant. She looks the freaked out. The warrant. They finally get the warrant to look at the emails. But here's the way these investigations work in real time. There's a group of FBI agents who have seen enough That's of those right. emails. They just Let's couldn't not go pretend forward. By the way, can, can, we, can we stop? Can, can, uh, can I stop you there? I know we're way over. But I hear people this weekend, first of all, saying so much bad information, trying to spin wildly for Hillary Clinton. There's a Yahoo report. Well, the FBI officials haven't seen any of the emails. They have no idea why. Yeah, for those of you listening, this is Joe Scarborough and uh, Mika Brzezinski. And yes, this is MSNBC that is going after Hillary Clinton. And now Joe's about to go after the media. What's even in there? Well, Wolf, you know, they don't even know what's inside of there. Well, Tom, they have no idea. Let me tell you something. If you really believe that, then please come to 30 Rock and get on my multicolored unicorn at noon, and we will fly to Atlantis together. Listen, the FBI knows enough, Mike. You and I both know we've, I mean. Is it perhaps that they, has they integrity? know enough in like the Democrats so we got to get said? a warrant. Look at this. Right. we got to get a warrant. Yeah. And, and by the way, they usually do this. Oh, we it's better painful. get a warrant. Let me see another one just to make sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Let's see another just to make Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're all yoga. We need to get a warrant. Um, I mean, people, I, I just, I, I have, 
I have been stunned by the reporting this weekend, uh, the spinning and the reporting this weekend. Um, three- now, are you uh, are you getting a little more fired back up to, to jump back into the hill dog stuff? Because I got some good, good stuff, stuff that really should make it in the show. But, you know, there is that production demon that is always pushing the pace. So let's go through a couple of things that uh, I thought we should we should review. But before we, you know, before we really dig into the to the leaks and to the accusations and to the bombshells about the foundation, I feel like we should take a moment and uh, let's just connect with Hillary. Uh, oh, what's this? Oh, Hillary's on Snapchat right now. I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. Yep. She's just chilling. That's Snapchat from Hill Dog. All right, well, let's get into our first clip for the overtime. Trey Gowdy's making a lot of attention these days, and uh, the MSNBC anchor who took down Gary Johnson got a smackdown by Gowdy. Uh, let me ask you, there are several elements going on in this campaign, obviously, many of them upsetting to millions and millions of voters. But one of the things that goes unspoken of in large extent is Russian interference in the American political process. Would you care to rank? And- oh, my God, this guy out of all of the things he could be asking, the guy that was leading the investigation of Benghazi, that investigation is what uncovered the private email server. That is the very thing that has haunted her her entire campaign. And he asks about, it's not Putin. Putin didn't buy Hillary Clinton a server and put it in some guy's basement. That wasn't Putin. And what is he asked? What is he going to ask Trey about? Millions and millions of voters. But one of the things that goes unspoken of in large extent is Russian interference in the American political Ooh. process. Would you care to rank in terms of priority? Hillary Clinton's emails versus the clearly established Russian <laughs> interference in our electoral process. Would you quit? Would you like to rank these things? Would you like to rank these things? In other words, when I heard this question, I heard him say, are you on board with the Russia's evil narrative? Are you on our side or are you against us? That's what I hear in this question. Uh, let me ask you, there are several elements going on in this campaign, obviously, many of them upsetting to millions and millions of voters. But one of the things that goes unspoken of in large extent is Russian interference in oh, the yeah. American oh, political yeah. process. Would you care to rank in terms of priority Hillary Clinton's emails versus the clearly established what a stupid question in our electoral process? Which is more important? I heard the tail end of that question. I didn't hear the first of it. Are you asking me to decide which is more important, the content of the email or foreign interference in our elections? Yes, sir. Well, is it an option that they're both important, or do I have to pick between the two? <laughs> no, you can do whatever you choose to do, obviously. But I mean, which worries I mean, you? I, which concern? Which more? concerns you more? Both. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I have to pick between the two. I, no. I think foreign interference in our election is terrible, yeah, and yeah. I think mishandling classified huh. information is terrible. Oh, Although yeah. Comey said she did not, not have a specific intent to violate the law. So, uh, I mean, it, it's like asking me which one of my kids I love the most. I, I, I They're both important. They both ought to be looked into. And, and it's not up to me to decide which is more deleterious. I love it. <laughs> Good for him. Not playing into it. Yeah, Trey Gowdy, he's getting himself quite a bit of attention these days because he just, 
he has really good answers. I have another clip. I'm not sure uh, if we'll get to it, but uh, I have another him, another Gowdy clip. But I want to get uh, from him. I want to move from him to Mr. Tapper interviewing John Podesta. So, John, yesterday you slammed FBI Director Comey for going, quote, long on innuendo, light on facts. But frankly, for months, your campaign has been striking a very different note when it comes to Director Comey. Take a listen to vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine just one week ago. What I do know is this that uh, there was an extensive, as you know, Brett, investigation by the FBI under the direction of a wonderful uh, and tough career public servant, Jim Hmm. Comey. Uh, Jim was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia when I was the mayor. And he's somebody with the highest uh, standards of integrity. Highest standards of integrity, wonderful, tough, career public servant. How do you use those words and then call his actions on Friday into question? Well, Jake, look, this was an unprecedented action. It broke with uh, a a policy of Democratic and Republican Justice Department. It was done over the advice of senior Justice Department uh, uh, officials. And... uh, you know, I think that the Justice Department has had a long uh, tradition of tradition. not interfering in election, coming 11 days before the election. Uh, and uh, as I said yesterday, it was long on innuendo, short on facts. So we're calling on Mr. Comey to come forward and explain what's at issue here. Uh, you know, so far there's no charge of wrongdoing. There's no charge even that Hillary uh, and the reporting that backs it up coming from anonymous law enforcement sources uh, indicates it may not be about her server. It may not be about her at all. Uh, so I, I think this is something that uh, has uh, been tossed into the middle of a campaign. Uh, we would have preferred that that not happen. But now that it has happened, uh, Mr. Comey really needs to come forward. And so is he saying they would have preferred it was secret? Every time they say that, every time they say, well, what was his motivation? Why did he do this? Would they have preferred that he resumed an investigation, a formal, a formally public investigation? Would they prefer he do that in private secret that's creepy what kind of transparency is that explain uh, why he took this unprecedented step uh, particularly when he said himself in the letter to the hill uh, that these may not even be significant well he said that it was uh, pertinent to the investigation and here's here's the world according to james comey's perspective fbi agents are investigating the husband of one of hillary clinton's top aides for allegedly sending illicit material to an underage girl in the course of that they stumble upon emails that seem to be relevant to the other investigation the clinton investigation suddenly comey finds that his sworn statement from september that the fbi had completed its review was no longer true they had more materials now clinton didn't follow protocols when she started her email server whom abedin over that computer. Good one. Wiener was doing what he was doing. <laughs> and you and the Clinton campaign seem to be blaming Comey for being transparent with Congress. What Boom. was he supposed to do? Well, you look, Jake, I, I feel like Jake Tapper got a little burned. He got a little singed. See, Jake, he hasn't been a long term, longtime CNN guy. And he wanted to bring some real credibility when he came to CNN. And you know what? He's done a pretty good job. And I, I, I like him. You know, I like him on. I want to hear him on podcasts. I, I like him uh, when I see him on Twitter. I like that his son gave him a Minecraft mug and he drinks with that on air. All that stuff I like about Jake. The problem is the institution, and I I don't know if he got burned just enough where he's willing to press harder. But this is this is the top guy in Hillary's campaign that he's pushing right now. 
on air right before the election. This is not going to make the campaign happy. He was doing what he was doing, and you and the Clinton campaign seem to be blaming Comey for being transparent with Congress. What was he supposed to do? Well, look, Jake, I, I think he look. should have done, uh, in my view and in the view of many uh, senior people in both Democratic and Republican administrations. How is that different, what he just said, than when Trump says, uh, a lot of people tell me? You know, I've been getting phone calls and a lot of people agree with me. He's a, his parents are Mexican. That's why he can't be a good judge. You know, when I said that, I hear from a lot of people. A lot of people tell me this. I hear a lot of things. That's the same thing. That's a Trumpism. And now Podesta is just using it with Congress. What was he supposed to do? Well, look, Jake, I, I think he should have done, uh, in my view and in the view of many uh, senior people in both Democratic and Republican administrations, two deputy attorney generals from the Bush administration have already come out. He should have uh, taken further steps. Uh, Yahoo News reported last oh, night my Yahoo, that they really? haven't even looked at the contents of these. So to throw this in the middle of the campaign, uh, 11 days out, <clears throat> just seemed to break with precedent. And They're pretending like they don't understand how investigations work. And be inappropriate at this stage. Now he's going back to precedent, going back to all of that. Jay continues to push him a little bit. But I want to move on from Podesta because we have something that is... That is probably one of the most important news reports that the Young Turks has ever done. And I don't know if you are a longtime viewer or listener, but you probably, if you are, can barely recall the last time I played a Young Turks clip. But this is some, this is some great reporting because it, it takes what I hate doing, which is taking a whole bunch of different email quotes, trying to parse all the threads together and then reading to you, reading them to you on air. It just is murder. It's not what I'm good at. And they've gone through and they've taken the time to look at very important emails that clearly demonstrate what the Clinton Foundation is all about. This is a crime organization that is for profit. And it's where they park all of their political aides so they can call on them on demand. And it's a long clip, but it is great. And I encourage you to watch the entire thing. While some have been obsessed with the. Uh possible emails uh, that are involved in the FBI investigation of Hillary Clinton. So that has concluded. Now there's a new batch of emails that no one has read. You're looking in all the wrong places. The emails you should be looking at are the ones that are already public, for, that came out because of WikiLeaks, the Podesta emails. Well, there we have some devastating results for Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and the Clinton Foundation. Now, the emails that I think are most important come from Doug Band. He is with Teneo Consulting. Now, this is the group that was basically the middlemen for the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, and, and this is very important, personal fees that Bill Clinton got for speaking and giant amounts. Now, Teneo, that company, believe me, they got something for it, and you're going to see it in the emails as well. You're going to see what the Clintons got and, of course, what the donors got. So now let's look at what the real problem with the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton campaign is. So in the first set of emails, the press saw these emails and focused on all the wrong things. The one part of the email that they focused on was at the very end, and it was because it was a personal fight. Oh, my God, that's interesting. This Doug Band, who's a big consultant, advisor, ally of the Clintons, uh, complaining about Chelsea Clinton. Oh, drama. So they all focus on this sentence at the, or this paragraph at the end of Doug Band's email. He says, 
she's acting like a spoiled brat kid who has nothing else to do but create issues to justify what she's doing because she, as she has said, hasn't found her way and has a lack of focus in her life. Now, you might remember this. I don't think we paid it too much attention because it's just gossip. But this was when, if you can remember the time period when this leak came out, this information that you're about to hear was in those emails. And it's it's also some of the information that's in, in, in Clinton Cash and... Um, uh, there's well, there's another book out there right now that documents it. So there's other information that's put it together, but these emails have it in their own, just right there writing, and it's it's amazing. I realize she will be off of this soon, but if it doesn't come soon enough, um, then he's dot 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 right. So now, first of all, what are they fighting about? Why is Chelsea Clinton even involved with Doug Bam? Because Chelsea Clinton at that point is at the Clinton Foundation. And she's looking around going, wait, what are all these payments to Teneo for? This looks weird. So she starts digging because she doesn't know what her parents are up to. So she's genuinely looking around and going, what the, why are we giving all this to Doug Ban? And why are we doing all these things with all these different companies? Chelsea, best not to look into it. Now here's, so all the press does is report like, oh, Chelsea and Doug Ban are fighting. But what are they fighting about? Why don't you dig a little deeper? And by the way, it doesn't take very much digging at all. It's in the same email. So you notice there, if it doesn't come soon enough, getting Chelsea Clinton out of here, we're going to have issues, right? That's the implication. Don't worry about the implication because read the rest of the email. Now let's go back to the top of that email and show you what he actually said. That's devastating. He says, and he's sending this, by the way, to Cheryl Mills and John Podesta, two top advisors. This is back in 2011, very important context. So now at that point, we're pretty sure that Hillary Clinton wants to run for president uh, and uh, she's, of course, become Secretary of State for President Obama. And some of the donors would like um, to have an audience with Secretary Clinton. Those are relevant. And John Podesta later becomes her campaign manager, but at this time is a very important ally. Cheryl Mills is uh, her most important advisor at the State Department. And so he's addressing this to them. And he says, need to get to this ASAP to them, although I'm sure Chelsea Clinton won't believe it to be true because she doesn't want to even, though the facts speak for themselves. Now, he's writing these emails quickly, so there'll be some language issues there, right? But the clarity of that is, is not that hard to understand. So, so he says, Chelsea won't understand. She doesn't know what her parents are up to is basically what he's saying here. Don't worry, he's going to spell it out. He says, John, to John Podesta, John, I would appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Uh, I'm also starting to worry that if this story gets out, we are screwed. How does the rest of the press not pay attention to that sentence? So he's saying, Chelsea's digging. Tell her to stop digging. If the story comes out, we're screwed. Well, the story's out now because of the emails. So let's read now the rest of that email. He says, DK, that's Declan Kelly, that's his partner at Teneo uh, Consulting. Uh, DK and I built a business. 65 people work for us who have wives and husbands and kids. They all depend on us. Our business has almost nothing to do with the Clintons, the foundation, or Clinton Global Initiative in any way. The chairman of UBS could care less about Clinton Global Initiative. UBS donated to Clinton Global Initiative. Our fund clients 
who we do restructuring and M&A, that's mergers and acquisitions, advising the same as just as BHP Nortivo do. I mean, let's pause there. He's saying, yeah, yeah, these guys are getting giving to the Clinton Global Initiative, but do you think they care about it? He's like, no, no, these are serious people. They're doing business here. We don't care about the fund that we're giving to, the charity that they're giving to. They don't care at all. Don't make me spell it out. Okay, here, I'll spell it out. Let's be honest about it. He's got it in the email. He continues, these are real companies who we provide real advice to through very serious people. Mm. Communications head for Goldman, deputy press secretary to Bloomberg, former head of banking, and his team for Morgan Stanley for Asia and Latin America. In other words, wisen up here. And again, this is not coded. This is an internal email. He doesn't think this is going to get out. He's like, we don't care about the charity. We're doing business here. He says, uh, before the famous lines about Chelsea Clinton, which are at the very end, right before that, he says also about her, I realize it is difficult to confront and reason with her, but this could go too far and then we all will have a real serious set of other problems. What? Here we are. We know it. Yet the rest of the media, well, well, I don't, I don't see what, what problems? I don't see any problems. Okay, I've got a lot more for you guys. Now, here's where, uh, to give credit to one portion of the media, Zero Hedge did a wonderful job of covering this. You should check that out and read all the th- uh, things that they've written about it. But the New York Times, uh, Nick uh, Confessor has written about it as well. He tweeted in this case, this Doug Ban memo in the latest Podesta dump is the Rosetta Stone of the Teneo Clinton Foundation. Now, the reason why they're saying this is they get into real they get into real money here, uh, and and they just say we're not a we're not a charity. Turn, you'll get Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, and you know what that means. So Coca Cola, boom, four point three million dollars, no problem, throughout all those different years. And he's laying this out in the memo. Dow Chemical Company. He's laying it out saying, this is the money I make for you. This is why you got to make sure that Chelsea doesn't screw things up for us. Uh, $780,000. We're going to come back to Dow Chemical Company. That is very important. As an example, UBS, a giant bank, uh, $540,000. Barclays Capital, another giant financial institution, $1.1 million. Then we get to the people who've given money directly to Bill Clinton for his speeches and other appearances. And he lays that out too, saying like, hmm, now don't forget where your bread is buttered. So he says in the memo, UBS, $900,000, 450000 in 2011, 450000 to be paid in 2012. In other words, hey, be cool, some of this money is coming later. This goes straight into their pockets. This is not to the foundation. Erickson, $750,000 plus $400,000 for a private plane. BHP, $175,000 in 2012. Barclays, Teneo cultivated its client relationship to help secure two paid speeches in 2010 and 2011, totaling more than $700,000. Now, uh, the Clintons have been telling us all along, no, they just care about uh, the wonderful speeches we're going to give them. Here are memos outlining, no, they don't. They care about the deals that they are going to make. And here is me outlining all the money you're getting and putting in your pocket and the money your charity and foundation are getting. And by the way, that's also where you staff all of your political backers. 
your entire Clinton team is in the Clinton Foundation, ready to get activated if you should want to run for president later. Oh. This is such an amazing racket that the Clintons have set up. So think about this. Think how brilliant it is. They use the influence that they got both with Bill Clinton as president, and they realize something as they climb the political ladder. These companies have millions of dollars to spend to buy influence, and they also want to look charitable. They want to look like they're doing good with their money. And they solve two problems, two big problems with one silver bullet. And that's just the beginning. It gives them a way to channel and funnel money. It gives them an opportunity and a platform to put their people in to keep them well employed and keep them in positions of power and influence. And the money is just nuts. All right, you did. That's Hillary Clinton. So Doug Band goes on to explain more. He says, independent of our fundraising and decision-making activities on behalf of the foundation, we have dedicated ourselves to helping the president secure and engage in for-profit activities, for-profit activities, including speeches, books, and advisory service engagements. So again, context is Chelsea Clinton digging here, going, hey, why are we paying these guys? He's like, this is why you're paying me. This is an internal email. So he's speaking frankly. These are for-profit operations. This is huge. This is right there in the emails, everybody. Because I make money for you and you put it in your pocket. Let's not forget our arrangement. He goes on to say, neither Justin uh, nor I are separately compensated for these activities. We do not receive a fee for or a percentage of the more than $50 million in for-profit activity. Probably not, because otherwise there'd be a money trail to you. And <laughs> eventually, once you start to follow the money, everything else unravels. We have personally helped to secure for President Clinton to date or the $66 million in future contracts should he choose to conti continue with those engagements. Now, Confessor from the New York Times is going to explain, wait, now if they don't get compensated personally... How do they get paid? They get paid as these consultant fees, which you're going to find out about in a second. So this is him saying, you better keep those consultant fees coming, and you better not break up these relationships where the companies pay us, because remember, you owe us. And not only do you owe us, I got $66 million more coming in your direction in for-profit activities if you're a good team player. More money coming. This is the Rosetta Stone. He goes on to say, with respect to business deals for his advisory services... Referring to Bill Clinton, Justin and I found developed and brought to President Clinton multiple arrangements for him to accept or reject. Of his current four arrangements, we secured all of them, and we have helped manage and maintain all of his for-profit business relationships. Since 2001, President Clinton's business arrangements have yielded more than $30 million for him oh. personally, oh. with $66 million to be paid out over the next nine years, should he choose to continue with the current engagements. In other words, if you leave us, those relationships go away. How much clearer does it have to be? He lays it out all right here. And he says, remember, we worked up all these business contacts for you that not only give to your foundation, but have made you incredibly rich and are going to make you even richer still. Mm -hmm. Be a good team player now, Bill. Maybe this is why Hillary is running for president, even though she's so sick. If she is so sick. So he's telling John Podesta and Cheryl Mills, understand who you work for. Okay. Now, uh, here's where Nick Confessor comes back in from the New York Times. He says, Ban's argument, I am not getting fully compensated for all the stuff I do for Clinton world, 
so you should let me do Teneo, everyone wins. Hmm. Uh, he goes on to say again, the reporter from the New York Times, uh, now you could argue, so what? If Band gets his clients to pop over money to a charity, why is that bad? But consider that Band was selling his clients an idea that giving to foundation was, in essence, a way to bolster their influence. That's the problem, is they've been caught red-handed selling influence with big dollar amounts. He also says, Clinton and Band built a platform for executives to bolster their company's images. Yep. Bathe in Bill Clinton's praise yep. and do some good. This company, I can't do it. I was chasing it. This company, this company, nope, I can't do it. This company, nope, I can't do a bill anymore. I lost If I heard Chase for a little bit, I might be able to get it. But you could imagine him going up on stage talking about what a great company they are, what great company they are for humanity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. While, and now here comes an important part, Teneo extracted earnings for band. And depending on what you see in these emails, Clinton himself, Teneo paid Clinton until late 2011. If you didn't catch it, I, I believe this uh, Nick guy that he's quoting on Twitter is a New York Times reporter, or, 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 or is a reporter at least. And the reason why I mention this is because it is out there. It is out there. The information is out there. It, it's just not getting pushed into the main narrative. So what does Teneo get? Let's find out. Dow Chemical paid Teneo $2.8 million in 2011 and $16 million in 2012 for a variety of, quote, consultancy services. Oh. Of course, Bill Clinton was an honorary chairman of Teneo and as such was set to be paid $3.5 million for that position even though he ultimately only kept $100,000 because of the scandals that erupted around the firm, including their advisor relationship with MF Global. So, on top of the speeches and all the other things Bill Clinton gets, he also becomes honorary chairman, not just at Teneo, but at other companies. And that's why earlier in the emails, Ban was saying, remember all that chairman stuff that we got him? That's also money in his pocket. He's also, at the same time, a chairman on Teneo. Teneo gets paid by those same companies like Dow Chemical who are giving to the Clinton Foundation. They give a giant amount of money to Teneo for being the middleman. And Teneo then just turns around and pays Clinton $3.5 million for being an honorary chair. Until they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And then Clinton was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did $3.5 million. No, no, I'll just take $100,000. That's all. Did he give back the other $30 million, the other $50 million, the other $66 million he was set to get? Did he give back all that money? No. I just okay. can't. Now, all right, you're saying... I get what the Clintons get out of it. They get to staff their whole team in the Clinton Foundation, among other things that they get from the foundation. They personally get enriched at unbelievable numbers. I get what Doug Band gets out of it. Teneo goes over to Dow Chemical and the donors and goes, now give me the money for setting up those contacts. But wait a minute. The part that the rest of the media almost never talks about. But what do the donors get out of it? I understand who the corrupted is, but who are the corruptors? And why do they do it? That's, I mean, on one consultancy alone, they paid Teneo alone $16 million in 2012. Dow Chemical did. Well, let's look into what they care about. The donations from Dow Chemical are particularly notable for several reasons. First, because of other emails revealed by WikiLeaks and other Freedom of Information requests, we now know that Dow Chemical CEO Andrew Laveris was granted special access to then- Secretary Clinton, back in July 2009, 
At the same time, he was embroiled in ongoing litigation with another Clinton Foundation donor, Kuwait, oh. over a failed joint venture that would have netted Dow $9 billion in cash. Now, when you've got $9 billion on the line, you're going to want that access. Look at this, both sides playing ball, both Kuwait and Dow Chemical. No, no, I'm going to give you more money. No, I'm going to give you more money because they got to win that case. There's $9 billion on the line. Who cares about $16 million to Teneo for a consulting project, $3.5 million of which goes to Bill Clinton for his honorary chair? Who cares about giving a speech for $450,000 or $700,000? Who cares about giving a million bucks or so to a Clinton Foundation? You got $9 billion on the line. This is what I've been saying about the Clinton Foundation for months now. And in every episode of Unfiltered, there is links to these leaks. I have links to Zero Hedge, which did the original reporting on this. I don't know what this means, but I know it means the Clinton Foundation will, just like Trump has said, sell the White House when they get in there. He he managed to put put a key phrase on it. They're getting in that White House for a very specific reason. And they always minimize what they're doing. Oh, just some emails about yoga. No big deal. A private server for convenience, just for my own convenience, because I didn't want multiple devices. They always minimize, but later on it comes out that they were freaking out behind the scenes. We are learning more tonight about the confusion and disarray in the Clinton campaign during the early stages of her email scandal. Chief National Correspondent Ed Henry tells us Team Hillary knew immediately the problems were bigger than they were letting on. As soon as Hillary Clinton's email scandal broke, she downplayed its significance. I opted for convenience to use my personal email account. Yet in private, a top advisor, Philippe Rhinus, bluntly admitted in a March 7th, 2015 email, there is just no good answer. We need to gut through the process phase, get them all out there, and let the content do the talking. Three days later, the aides who were not confident they had good answers let Clinton go out and vow. I have uh, absolute confidence that everything that could be in any way uh, connected to work is now in the possession of the uh, State Department. But another new email shows on March 8, Uh 2015, even Clinton advisor Mandy Grunwald wondered about a report that there were gaps in her official email, including no email turned over to the State Department from the trip where this now I iconic photo of Clinton on her BlackBerry was snapped. Grunwald asked, do we have an answer for why there are no emails from the trip to Libya? Rhinus responded Clinton needed email the least when she traveled. Quote, she had both her deputy chiefs of staff with her, me, always a high-ranking state person most relevant to the issue. That still does not explain why there are no emails from a trip where Clinton was clearly on her BlackBerry, especially since the FBI has reported at the end of March 2015, the IT company overseeing Clinton's server used BleachBit to delete thousands of emails. That month is critical. On March 2nd, the New York Times revealed she used a private account. On March 4th, the Associated Press revealed the server. Republican Trey Gowdy immediately issued a subpoena for Clinton to preserve all records that day. And John Podesta emailed Cheryl Mills, think we should hold emails to and from the president? March 7th, Mills wrote they needed to clean up the president's answer about when he learned about the server. While Rhinus noted there was no good answer. 
And today we learned on March 5th, Reines noted he urged Clinton to hold a transparency day to release emails and transcripts of Wall Street speeches, claiming of Clinton, emailer-in-chief is in a very good place about all of this. Clinton also promised there was no classified information on her server. That turned out to be false. <laughs> yeah. And newly obtained FBI records show the State Department withheld from public release 18 confidential messages between the president and Clinton. Brett? Oh, uh oh. Ed, thank you. Yeah, thanks there, Ed. We're almost out of the Hillary section for the overtime. Does that feel good? It felt good, right? Well, I can't imagine there's any there there or anything that's really going to have an effect on the election. I think the Donald Trump supporters that are currently with him this is going to be something that he's going to throw out to his crowd and, and they're going to say, see, 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 the Clinton <laughs> people and the Clinton voters are going to continue to be with Hillary. And I this is Representative Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio. I think for the undecided voters, uh, however many there are at this point, uh, are going to be more concerned with the fact that the economy is growing the fact that Hillary Clinton wants to invest into them and that she's more on their side than Donald Trump is in the light of how Donald Trump has behaved in the last few months. So in the light of now, hold on a second now on the election. Here we go. Here's what probably will happen just based on my years of experience here in Washington. And you know this as well. In days, this is going to be a, a dominant issue. And I assume it worries you as a Hillary Clinton supporter. Now, I'm waiting for the... How did the FBI get to them? Here we go. Where are they? We have all this stuff going on with Russia right now. Uh All of the WikiLeaks Uh issues of stolen documents that we don't really even know if some have been manipulated or not manipulated. So he is sort of... I think the... the the implication is that Russia is involved through all of the different investigations uh, that they went through on this, where the FBI said that, you know, she didn't do anything wrong, that it may be careless, but that was it. And that there would have had to been this huge conspiracy of 300 people in the State Department that would have been conspiring to, you know, release confidential information. Now, I want to see if Wolf pushes him back on that. Russia issue, but it doesn't look like Comey it. Comey says it was in connection with an unrelated case. All of a sudden, they came upon these emails that may or may not right. have contained classified. Oh, so, oh, hold on. Well, he says it was in connection let's go back. With so, for this to come Where, does out, he, does he correct me? He, he says, Comey <clears> says it was in connection with an unrelated case. All so of a sudden, they came upon. He kind of corrects the Russia thing, but doesn't really correct it, does he? Not really. No, not really. All right. Last Hillary clip. Anyways, I thought that was interesting because Ohio is a very important battleground state, as you know. So that's Representative Tim Ryan. He's obviously on board with the dog still. He's all in. Let's see what a topo- – now, I, I have not got a chance to read his thing. I don't even know. I, he has got this piece that's coming out. And it might not even be out today. It might be out till tomorrow. But Judge Napolitano is saying he's comparing James Comey to J. Edgar Hoover. And um, I'm not exactly sure what he means. Fox News Senior Judicial Analyst Judge Andrew Napolitano. Chef. You got quite a thing coming out in, in uh, Washington Post and FoxNews.com tomorrow. 
the the piece is called J. Edgar Comey, in which I compare Jim Comey ah. to J. Edgar Hoover, and the, the, the argument is this, a willingness by the director of the FBI to inject the Federal Bureau of Investigation into the political process. There was absolutely no duty, obligation, or right for him to announce that the Clinton investigation had been opened. Look, if they found a treasure trove of information on Anthony Weiner's laptop, they are duty-bound to investigate what they found. But the law prohibits the, uh, the uh, FBI from taking a snapshot, a progress report of a criminal investigation and broadcasting that. It's sort of like, hey, we have some stuff on you. We don't know what it is. We haven't looked at it yet. We haven't decided the we significance of it. We don't even know if it's about you or about somebody that works for you, but we're just telling everybody mm -hmm. that, uh, that we have it. That violates due process, the essence of which is notice what's going on and fairness. And I, I'm very disappointed, as are a lot of people from all over the political spectrum, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, progressives, uh, about uh, Jim Comey's announcement. What should happen to him? I can't imagine that he stays in office under either a president, a Hillary Clinton, or a president, uh, Donald well, Trump. Trump's loving on him until this thing doesn't go his way, and then he'll hate him. But. You know, well, you know, the, uh, Donald Trump has expressed extreme negative views about Jim Comey and now extreme positive views about Jim Comey. Mrs. Clinton hasn't said anything publicly about him. Hey, there, there's all this discussion about what he did, but had he not done this, the chances are mighty good, like the sun coming up, that this information would have leaked. Yes. And then there would have been the accusation of playing favoritism in the other direction. But the FBI doesn't work for the Congress, right. and the FBI is not supposed to be transparent. It's also not supposed to make legal judgments about whether or not a prosecutor would take a case. It gathers facts in secret. It presents those facts in secret to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department decides, are we going to go to a grand jury? Are we going to indict? Or is, is this not a case worth pursuing? And is this something the public needs to know about? For him to have made public announcements on his own is where he injected the FBI in the political process 10 days before the election, which was the reason for the comparison to Hoover, who never had problems doing that. It, what, if you're going to get in the, if what you say is all true, then shouldn't there be some sort of some sort of recourse against someone who inserted himself into the process? I don't think that the Not president like that. wants to, or the attorney general want to take that recourse between now and the election day. There might be some recourse after election day. Huh? Like like what? Like you're out of here or a public rebuke? Or this something? is an interesting red book prediction. Let's see if it comes true. Something. Or like uh, Attorney General uh, Lynch saying, well, we've looked at all these emails and it's, a, it's all about Huma and Anthony. It's not about Hillary. And this statement shouldn't have been made with the implication that it's about her. Because when he sent the letter to Congress, in fact, he had not seen those emails. We know that because he sent the letter on Friday and the search warrant author authorizing review of the emails wasn't signed until Sunday night. So the people working on the Anthony Weiner sexting case look through, they see Huma and, and, and Hillary Clinton on there and they don't peek? Really? They probably did peek. Right. It's human nature, and I can tell you, there are some times when you see things that you shouldn't see. When yep. that happens, you report it. Not to the press, you report it hmm. to your superiors. I'm told that most of this, her email file got duped onto a computer. Right. They didn't really realize it was there. Right. All this stuff, 
or at least the vast majority of it has already been turned over to the Fed. So what they have is a big duplicate, basically. And the stuff that she didn't turn over. Unless unless our sources are misleading us. But I, I trust them. I've trusted them for decades. We we all have great sources. We are all hearing uh, the same thing. And, and I'm convinced that Director Comey jumped the gun. Look, if I'm wrong, if there's some bombshell in there, again, his duty is not to go to the Congress and not to go to the press, but go to his bosses in the Justice Department. Well, I've already speculated why he went ahead and pulled the trigger. I won't repeat it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. It's pretty, pretty, pretty intense, isn't it? All right. I got to get going, but because that those clips were long. I, I have some stuff I wanted to play on Obama. I had some, on Obamacare, I should say, but I do I do want to leave you with. I'll leave that in the sink. Now to a, a really odd development on the campaign trail at a time when Democrats are accusing FBI Director James Comey of having a double standard when it comes to handling cases involving Clinton versus cases involving Donald Trump, and when Democrats are accusing the career lawman of, of poisoning the well. Today, an FBI Twitter account has been criticized for tweeting out documents related to previous investigations involving the Clintons. Hours ago, the Twitter handle FBI Records Vault posted a link to files from the Bureau's investigation into Mark Rich, that Wall Street trader controversially pardoned by President Bill Clinton on his way out the door in 2001. Let's get to CNN justice correspondent Pamela Brown. Pamela, has the FBI explained why this account is doing this now? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Look at that face. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I like that face. That's good. All right. Now, I don't ever encourage you do this. Don't do what this kid did. Unless maybe, like, you got, like, 24 hours to live or something. I don't know why else you would do this. And I don't know why you would live stream it. Uh, but <laughs> I guess it makes for a better story. Okay, we're back now with that brilliant thief who stole a police car, then live streamed his escape on Facebook. Gio Benitez here with that wild ride. Hey, Gio. Hey there, George. I'm not sure we've seen anything quite like this. A live broadcast from a stolen police car. And in some ways, police hope this is a whole new trend because it makes catching the crooks a whole lot easier. Take a look. Can you believe this is the state of America's morning news? George freaking Stephanopoulos. If you don't believe me right now, look, check it out. I'm in the cop car. Um, where's my sirens at? <laughs> Where's my sirens at? Yep, dude is jacking a cop car and live streaming on Trend? Facebook. Because it makes catching the crooks a whole lot easier. Take a look. If you don't believe me right now, look, check it out. I'm in the cop car. Um, Where's my sirens at? That's 25-year-old John Penny moments after he allegedly stole a police car in Tulsa, Oklahoma Monday. Yeah, cops lying me in. Penny live streaming to Facebook, posting about his felony, all while officers are in hot pursuit. I'm driving with my knees right now trying to show you all this. Oh, man. Penny leading police on a chase, reaching speeds over 100 miles per hour, even speeding through neighborhoods with children. Children? At one point, Penny stopping to get out of the stolen car, giving Facebook viewers a look at what he's seeing. Sure. Uh... After a 40-minute pursuit, officers finally able to apprehend Penny after tracking the stolen police car to his parents' house. (laughs) You know, maybe he's on some pills.
Alright, that's gonna wrap up the overtime for episode 211 of the Unfilter Show. Thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you for those of you who've been considering it and finally make the pledge today. And also, if you'd like to submit any content to our show, you can always slip it in on our subreddit, unfilter.reddit.com. Clips are always much, much appreciated. Remember, live election next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.